Ladies and gentlemen, the following podcast contains coarse language, strong thematic themes, talk of history and context, terrible imitations of Hollywood figures, and an unbashed love of Hollywood's golden age. It also contains the ramblings of an unstable dork who has too much time on his hands. Listener discretion is advised. And now, on with the program. Okay, Zach, you're on the air. Yesteryear, Ballyhoo, review. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to this special radio edition of Yesteryear, Ballyhoo, review, coming to you from the YBR studios in Colorado. Today, the program takes you back to the world where only sound reigns supreme, where the imagination fills in the gaps for your for a picture in your head that is too exhilarating, extravagant, and expensive for any silver screen. The world of radio. And tonight, the Ballyhoo will take you to the seedy realm of the criminal underworld, whose only obstacle is that man of mystery, and the only thing that he can never hide, his shadow. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, the Ballyhoo will find out what what evil truly lurks in the hearts of men as we tune in for a thrilling adventure of the shadow. So throw on your blue coal into the furnace and settle by the radio for a thrilling adventure with a discussion afterward to delight the earbuds. Again, Blue Coal Dealers present radio's strangest adventurer, The Shadow, mystery man who strikes terror into the very hearts of shopsters, lawbreakers, and criminals. Today, Blue Coal brings you The Shadow's latest adventure, The Silent Avenger. The Shadow's exciting adventure begins in just a moment. But first, I'd like to remind you homeowners that right now, when winter is changing into spring, is the most treacherous time of all the year. But you can protect your family's health and save valuable dollars by burning blue coal. It's Pennsylvania's finest anthracite. Order a trial ton from your nearest blue coal dealer tomorrow. And if you want to read The Adventures of the Shadow in complete novel form, in addition to numerous detective stories, crime problems, and features, simply write us for your copy of The Shadow Magazine absolutely free. Remember, all you have to do is mail a penny postcard to Blue Coal, 120 Broadway, New York City, or to Blue Coal in care of this station. Send for your free copy of The Shadow Magazine tonight. You have been duly tried by a jury and found guilty of murder in the first degree. You now appear in this court that sentence may be passed upon you. But before I pronounce sentence, have you anything to say? Yeah. Yeah, I have. The 
Before you pass sentence on me, I'm going to pass sentence on you. You, Judge Wilson, on Sloan, the prosecuting attorney. On those 12 good and true saps on the jury. And on one more, maybe. The guy that really trapped me in the first place. The only guy smart enough to get me. The shadow. Order! Order in the court! That will do, Joseph Bricks. You have nothing to say in your own behalf. This is in my own behalf, and you'd better listen, all of you. I know I'm on my way to the death house to the chair. But I'm warning you. For every day I sit in the death house, one of you will be killed. Starting with the foreman of the jury. He'll die the day I burn. Order! Order in the court! Joseph Brecker, by the power vested in me by the people of this state, I hereby order you to be taken to the state penitentiary. There to be delivered over to the warden, by whom on a certain day determined by this court, he shall in the manner prescribed by law put you to death. And may God have mercy on your soul. Order's adjourned. All right, come on, clear the court. Outside. Well, it's a sheer bluff, I tell you. How can Brexit kill a whole jury? The DA. Judge Wilson. Even the governor. I tell you, he's crazy. Yeah, I'm glad I was not that jury. Yeah, you bet. Ganger White. Brexit's gang are all dead or in jail. No, but you can't. Yes, I know. Nobody's ever seen the shadow. He could appear right in this courtroom and not be seen. I'd hate to have anybody like that. Well, Margot, let's get out of here. It must be very flattering to inspire such awe and fear, Lamont. It has its disadvantage, Margot. Unfortunately, the the mystery surrounding the shadow inspires fear and terror in the innocent as well as the guilty. The unknown is so often associated with evil. There's no help for it. The shadow must remain a shadow. Lamont, what do you make of Brecker's threat? Do you think it's just bluff? I wish I did, Margot. Meaning? Meaning Lamont Cranston is going to don the shadow's cloak and call on Joe Brecker in prison. Okay. Hello, Danny. Well, Joe. You got five minutes. Better make the most of it. <coughs> Deputies are here from the state. Time to take you bye-bye to the big house. I'll be back. Uh, All right. Come on in, Danny. Sit on the bunk. I want to talk to you. There ain't much time. Hey. It's like a cage where they keep animals, huh, Joe? Lay off that, Danny. Okay, don't get sore. Sit down here and listen to what I got to say. Are they going to kill you, Joe? Yeah, but they're going to pay for it, every last one of them. You know who they are, don't you? I've told you over and over again. Yeah, Joe, you told me. And you know what you're to do. You remember everything I told you. Don't you, Danny? Yeah, yeah, Joe, I remember. I won't forget. When the newspapers say they put you in a death house, I kill one of them. That's right, Danny. And don't forget, these people I told you about, the judge, the jury, that prosecuting attorney are the same ones that drafted you into the army, sent you over to France. Let you get shell-shocked so it's hard for you to remember things. Sure. I won't forget. Hey, will it hurt much when they kill you, Joe? Stop that, will you? Okay, okay, I just want to know. You just keep your mind on the jury and Judge Wilson. Maybe even the governor. You'll get them all, eh, Danny? Yeah. Yeah, Joe. They won't know what hit them. <laughs> That's the stuff, Danny. And I'll just one more thing. There's a guy that may get after you. He's smarter than the cops. He's the one that really got me. You gotta keep away from him. Don't give him a chance to find you. How can I do that? You gotta keep away from home. Don't go near the flat of the old lady. But Ma will worry if I don't come home no, now. No, no, she won't, Danny. She'll know you got things to do. All right, Joe. What about the fella I can't see? 
Is he dead? Like all my buddies in the war? The ones that talk to me in the dark? No, no, Danny. This guy's different. He ain't dead, he's alive. You can hear his voice, only you can't see him. But if you ever hear his voice, you'll know he's near you. Somewhere in the shadows. Yeah. <laughs> if he talks to me, I'll fix him, Joe. Sure, but not the way you're going to get the others, Danny. Because you can't see him, see? Now, look. You know those old hand grenades you have at home? Yeah. Well, I want you to carry a couple with you. If this guy ever finds you, if he tries to stop you paying him off for killing me, you just pull the pin of a hand grenade and throw it where you think his voice is coming from. That'll get him. All right, Joe. But how will I know when it's him? You'll know all right, Danny. He has a queer kind of laugh. And he calls himself the Shadow. All right, Breaker. Time's up. Come on, you. Okay, okay. So long, Danny. Don't you forget anything. So long, Joe. I wouldn't forget. I wouldn't forget nothing you told me. Come on, you. Out this way. Pick it up. <laughs> the poor dope. He'll do it all right. He'll fix him. Every last one of them if I burn. Who's that? I heard somebody, but there's nobody there. Hey, God! Are you surprised to find me here, Joe Brecker? Shadow. <laughs> so you weren't expecting me. And yet prisons are filled with shadows. Shadows in the minds of men walking in the shadow of death itself. What do you want? You put me here, sent me to the chair. Why can't you let me alone? Because your career of murder is not over. Because I know you mean to carry out the threat you made in court. Yeah. Yeah, and you can't stop me, Shadow. I can. Because you're going to tell me how the jury, the prosecuting attorney, and Judge Wilson are going to be killed. You're crazy. I'm not telling you anything, Shadow. I'm not afraid of you anymore. I got nothing to lose. You are telling me, Brecker. Yeah. You see, I can read your mind. One thought is racing through your mind now. It's mirrored in your eyes, etched on your brain. You're lying, trying to trick me into telling you. All right, I'll tell you what you're thinking about. You're thinking of a man. He, he acts strangely. He's, he's shell-shocked. No. Am I right? No, no, stop it. This man is very close to you. I've got it. He's your brother. His name is... Danny. Danny, isn't it? No, no, go away. Leave me alone. Thinking that even now your brother, Danny, is hurrying home to get a high-powered rifle out of a trunk. That's true. A rifle equipped with telescopic sights no. and a silencer. You're thinking of Danny's medals for marksmanship, his decorations for valor as a sniper, a sniper so cunning he could hide in an open battlefield, a lie. pick his enemies off at long range and no. not be seen. That's all I need to know, Brecker. All I need to know. <laughs> no. No, you're crazy. You're just guessing. Well, all right, suppose he is. You won't find him. You won't stop him, Shadow. Shut up, Brecker. Shut up, Brecker. What's the matter with you? Who do you think you're talking to? It's a shadow. He's here in the prison. Yeah, well, don't let that worry you, Brecker. There's plenty of shadows where you're going. Come on. Deputies are waiting, and you're heading for the last mile. <laughs> Thank you.
Now, look, Mr. Hanson, every one of you jurors are in danger. You shouldn't be here on the street. This death threat may seem like a lot of hooey to you, but I've been assigned to guard you. And if anything happens, they'll send me back to pounding a beat. Well, I'm sorry, Inspector, but I've got my business to attend to, and I can't hide in my office. <gasps> Hanson, what's the matter, man? Oh, man, look at him. He's down. What's the matter with that man? What's going on here? Keep back, get back. Yeah, who are you? Greg, homicide squad. Man's been shot. Ah, oh, you're crazy. I didn't have no shot. I Neither did I. But just the same, he's got a bullet right between the eyes. Looks like Joe Brecker is keeping his word. Lamont, can't you do something? Can't you find Danny Brecker? No. No, Margot. He got away. He hasn't been near his mother's home since his brother Joe went to the death house. to find Danny Brecker. He's somewhere, hiding somewhere, waiting to strike again. I've got to find him. Good morning, Mr. O'Hara. I'd like some oranges and potatoes. Good heavens, Mrs. Adams. What are you doing out in the street? I thought the police had detectives watching every one of you jurors that was on the Brecker case. Oh, they'd got a detective staying at my house, but I had to have some things for dinner, and I slipped out. Mother, can I have some candy? Yes, dear, of course you can. You just... Oh, Mother. Mother, what's the matter? Why don't you send to me? Sam! Sam! Yeah? Quick, no. phone the police. Get a doctor. Mrs. Adams Mother. has been shot. Oh, I'm afraid she's dead. Yes, the killer has struck again. <laughs> Judge Wilson. Yes, are we? Judge, don't you think it'd be, well, safer with a killer still at large if you had those window curtains closed? Oh, that's not necessary. This apartment's on the 20th floor. Yeah, I know, Your Honor, but just the same, I... I'll answer it, sir. Thank you. Hello? Yes, Judge Wilson is right here, Your Excellency. Oh, the governor's on the wire, sir. Here you are. Hello? Oh, yes, Governor. Yes, of course you couldn't commute Joe Brecker's sentence. If you did a thing like that, even to save the rest of the jury, there'd be no more law and order. But look, Governor, don't you think it'd be wise for you to cancel your engagement to ride in the parade tomorrow? It'd be in an open car and a perfect target for any... <coughs> Judge! Judge Wilson! Governor! Governor! Judge Wilson has just been shot! He... he's dead! Shadow will continue with his adventure in just a moment. In the meantime, here is a message of particular importance to families throughout this area who supply their own heat. We are now in a period of the year when all fuels are put to their severest test. However, homeowners who use blue coal have nothing to worry about because blue coal, which is especially prepared for home use, is better qualified to meet sudden changes of weather than other fuels. During mild weather, blue coal banks for long periods with little attention. Then blue coal immediately responds with minimum draft, sending a uniform supply of heat throughout the living quarters of the home. Because blue coal burns down to a fine powdery ash, it is not only an economical fuel, but a particularly clean fuel as well. Furthermore, 
Blue Coal is an American product, mined in Pennsylvania by the Glen Alden Coal Company. Unlike a good many other fuels sold in this area, Blue Coal is prepared exclusively for home use. So that you can be sure of getting more uniform, more economical heat, Blue Coal is act color, so that you can identify it at a glance. There has been a big swing this winter to Blue Coal throughout this territory. Sales of Blue Coal this winter in the Middle Atlantic and New England states show an increase of 10.4% over sales for the same period a year ago. So take a tip from these blue coal families. For better, more economical heat, switch to blue coal tomorrow. Ask for it by name. Order a trial ton from your nearest blue coal dealer, whose name will be found in the where to buy it section of your classified telephone directory under the name Blue Coal. Good work, Margo. Hello, Lamont. Take your long to get here. Let me help you out of the car. I was waiting for your call, Lamont. As a matter of fact, I've been waiting for days. Where have you been? What are you doing? Well, the same thing the entire police force this city's been doing, Margo. Chasing a will of the wisp. Are you sure it's Joe Brecker's brother, Danny? Yes, there doesn't seem to be any doubt of it, but the police can't find him, and I haven't a single clue to go on. What do you know about I him? I looked up his record. He was shell-shocked during the war in France. He was an expert marksman, a sniper. Society trained him to kill men. They told him they were enemies, that he should kill them off. And now, with a shell-shocked mind, he's remembering what society taught him. To kill. Yes. And another thing, for the people who've been through that experience, life is cheap. Yes, but these poor people he shot and killed, the jurors and the judge, they were only doing their duty, they're innocent. Yes, individually they're innocent, Margot. Individually we're all innocent, and yet, all guilty. Because this Danny, Joe Brecker's brother, is a product of our own folly. Teaching men to kill in time of war, yet expecting them to respect life in time of peace. Lamont, why did you want me to meet you here? Oh, I, I want you to do something for me, Margot. I want you to go into that brownstone house right over there. Joe Brecker's mother lives in the basement. Yes. Joe is scheduled to die at 5 o'clock. It's exactly 10 minutes from now. All right, Lamont. I'll do it. Where will you be? I'll be with you, Margot. There's the shadow. I have a feeling Danny may come to his mother tonight, either just before or just after his brother dies. Hurry, you have less than ten minutes. Here's the house. I'll ring the bell. Lamont, what shall I tell her? That I'm a reporter? Yes, but don't try to make her answer questions. I hear someone coming. Yes? What do you want? Mrs. Brecker, I'd like to speak to you. May I come in? I don't care. You can come in if you want to. Doesn't matter. Nothing matters anymore. Nothing will ever matter again. I know you've been through a terrible ordeal these past days, Mrs. Brecker. How could you know what I've been through? How could anyone know? My one son a murderer, and the other one, goodness only knows what or where. Oh, I'm very sorry. If there's anything I can do. In three minutes, they'll be killing my son, Joe. There's nothing anyone can do. It's his brother, Danny. Oh, I'm so worried about him. Why doesn't he come? Oh, why doesn't he come home? Ma. Oh, Danny. Yeah. Oh. I'd come. Joe said I shouldn't, but I had to come. 
I knew you'd want me home tonight. Danny, where have you been? What's Joe been making me do? I've just been doing what Joe told me to do for him. Ma, who's that girl there? What's she doing here? Why, she's just a friend, Danny. Just a friend. Come to sit with me. She won't tell nobody you've been here, will she? Oh, no, no, Danny. She won't tell anyone. Ma, they're going to kill Joe in a few minutes. Five o'clock. And then I've got to go out and do one more thing for Joe. Look, it's almost time. Oh, no. No, Danny, no. You, you can't. I won't let you. Let go of me, Ma. No, no. Let go of me. Danny. i got to do what Joe told me. I gotta keep my word to Joe. No, no, Danny, listen to me. I know, I know who's been killing those people, shooting them. Oh, you've got to give yourself up, Danny. They won't hurt you. They didn't know. You didn't know what you were doing. Five o'clock. It's time. It's time. Five o'clock. Joe's dead. Now I gotta go back to the tower and do the last thing Joe wanted me to do for him. Danny, don't. You've done enough harm. You keep out of this. Joe told me to do this. I gotta. I can still hear a voice telling me to do it. Now you'll hear a voice telling you not to, Danny. Voice. I know. You're the shadow. Yes, Danny. And for your own sake, your mother's sake, Danny. Joe I... told me what to do with you. He knew you'd find me. That's why I got this hand grenade. Oh, Danny, don't. I got my hand on a firing pin. I'm going to pull it out. Stop, Danny. I'm warning you. The voice came from there. In the corner. Joe told me to throw the grenade. Oh, my shadow. What happened? It's all right. I managed to pick up the grenade and throw it through the window into the court before it exploded. Oh, thank you. I don't mind saying that's the closest call the shadow ever had. Lamont, how long have you been here in your office? What happened? Were you able to trail Danny to his hiding place? No, by the time I got to the street after that hand grenade episode, he disappeared. But haven't you any idea where he went? Where that tower he mentioned might be? No, I've been working on this enlarged map of the Midtown section, trying to find some tall building, some tower Danny Brecker could use to hide to pick off the governor. Then he said something about a tower. He... It must be somewhere along the line of march of today's parade, Lamont. Margo, that's the Wardman Tower. But it isn't finished. They stopped work on it. It's nothing but a steel what frame. What could be a better place for a sharpshooter like Danny Brecker? There's no work going on there, just a watchman down on the street level. Margot, it's a long chance, but it may be the answer. Come on, there's a minute to lose. My car's downstairs, Lamont. I'll drive you over there. But what if he isn't there? What if he's somewhere else waiting to strike? In that case, Margot, I'm afraid we'll have a new governor of this state. <laughs> couple of minutes now, Joe. Just a couple of minutes, and the governor's car will come along, and then I'll do the last thing you asked me to do, Joe. Wind velocity zero, range 300 yards. He'll die quick, Joe, like you died. The governor's coming now, Joe. That's his automobile with all the flags on it. That's him, sitting in the back with all those fellas around him. But I can pick him out. 
And I won't miss Joe. <laughs> Danny. Danny Brecker. Listen to me. What was that? Who said that? Who laughed like that? Don't you recognize the shadow, Danny? But Joe said... He said the hand grenade would fix you. You see, Danny, your brother was wrong. Put down that rifle, Danny Brecker. How did you find me way up here? How did you know I was hiding up here among these steel girders? Just like I used to hide in the trees in the war. That doesn't matter, Danny Brecker. All that matters is that you must not kill any more people. But I got to. Just one more, Shadow. Just one more. The governor. Down there in that car. I promised Joe. No, Danny. You will never keep that promise. Put down that rifle. Put it down, Danny. Lay it down on that steel girder and crawl back to the catwalk. All right. All right. I'll put it down. I'll put it down. Where are you, Shadow? I still got another grenade. Talk to me, Shadow. Say something so I can tell where you are. Crawl back to the catwalk, Danny. Crawl back to the catwalk, I say. No. No, I won't. I won't. You can't make me. Come here and get me if you want me, Shadow. I don't want to have to do that, Danny. Don't you come near me, Shadow. Don't you touch me. If you do, I'll drop this hand grenade. I'll throw it down here among all those people. I'll kill dozens of them. There. I'll pull the pin. I'll throw it. Danny. Listen to me. Hold that hand grenade, Danny. Hold it tight, Danny Brecker. See your fingers tighten about it. Your mind obeys mine. Do you hear me, Danny? Danny, hold it. Don't throw that hand grenade. Hold it. Hold it tight. Don't throw it. Don't drop it. Don't drop it, Danny. Don't drop it, Danny. Don't drop it, Danny. Don't drop it. <laughs> Yes, Commissioner Weston. A high-powered rifle fell into the street, fell right in front of the governor's car. I'm glad no one was hurt. Mm -hmm. This is the 30th floor. This is where the bomb went off. Blew the guy to pieces. Good heavens, he must have had a time bomb that went off too quick. Any idea who it was? Yep. They found an identification card and some newspaper clippings in his pocket on what was left of him. It was Danny Brecker, Joe Becker's brother. Ah. Well, I guess that's that. Don't suppose we'll ever know what really happened. Anyway, there's one consolation. Looks as if the shadow fell down on this case just as badly as we did. Not quite, Commissioner Weston. Oh, so you got here in time to take credit for this, eh, Shadow? There is no credit. No glory in the death of Danny Brecker, Commissioner Weston. He was a victim. A human instrument of destruction. Fashioned by mankind that teaches men to kill their enemies in time of war, yet expects them to forget their murderous art in time of peace. 
Danny Brecker was an enemy of society, a killer, but only because you and I and countless thousands made him one. No, Commissioner. There is no glory in this for you or the shadow or for any man. I've just heard a dramatized version of one of the many copyrighted stories which appear in the Shadow magazine. All the characters and all the places named are fictitious. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Same station, Blue Coal, America's finest anthracite, again presents another thrilling adventure of the shadow. Be sure to listen and be sure to burn Blue Coal, a solid fuel for solid comfort. This is the Mutual Broadcasting... Wow, what an ending. Who knew that a superhero property could have that much to say about the realities of PTSD while intertwining mysterious methods that allow a man to invade another's thoughts? Well... It really shouldn't surprise our listeners. Many of our mythical heroes have a way of tapping into the anxieties and fears of a world gone mad, something that the Shadow and the team behind him all knew all too well. But just how much of the Shadow finds itself milling around our very conscious to this day? To answer that, we need a man whose enthusiasm for pop culture is only matched by his bright spirit. He is a photographer, podcaster, and all-around geek who will help us get to the very heart of the matter without any need for psychic connection with superpowers or mystical magic forces. He's just a dude, but he's a stellar dude. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back Brent Ballard. Wow. Hey. What an intro. Hey, I'm really glad you got rid of Anthony. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now, hold on. Let's, before we, we're Poptimists at heart. Yeah, that's right. So, Anthony, we do want you here, but also, buddy, we love you. But, Brent, it's, we've had you on the show before twice. Yes. But, um, and Anthony knew, and I knew each other prior, but. Let's get to know you a little bit before we start talking about Lamont Cranston and Margot Lane's thrilling adventures. Oh, great. So, so we, we've known you a little bit through the Poptimistic podcast, um, but tell us a little bit about you growing up. What, did, what, what were your film-going habits like or like your listening habits? Like, oh, Did you man. listen to old-time radio, watch Golden Age films, or was this kind of like a new thing coming into your world in recent years? So... I wasn't really familiar with old film at all, uh, and old radio even less so. Um, I mean, gosh, I think the only thing that I was really familiar with growing up was uh, War of the Worlds. Really? Yeah. That's funny, actually, because you were sending me pictures of like albums and whatnot, and you yeah. sent me a picture of the War of the Worlds album. So when, yeah. when you heard it, mm-hmm. Did it freak you out at all? Like, did it give you any shivers or were you more just curious about it? Um, I remember being freaked out a little bit. Um, I remember it having to be explained a little bit to me on what was going on. Uh, but I, other than that, I don't, I don't really remember much of it from the first 
listen through. I do remember years later listening to it again Mm -hmm. uh, and having just a severe appreciation for it because I've always liked horror stuff quite a bit. Yeah. And sci-fi anything really. And so it's one of those things that when I got older, it stuck with me a lot because it was just fascinating. And then learning about all the things that it kind of led to at that time. Yeah. Other like people actually losing their mind and like freaking out real bad that it was happening. Oh, I there's, there's a book that I recommend you check out and there's an audio version of it on audible. Um, it's called like broadcast hysteria and it's about the realistic measures and breakdown of the statistics of that broadcast specifically. Like it, it doesn't quell the myth. It just kind of puts it into a perspective of like how many people were genuinely freaked out by that stuff. Interesting. So like it, it, it doesn't like say that nobody was freaked out. Right. Because <laughs> clearly <laughs> I'm people sure were. people were. Yeah. And it's funny because that broadcast still has a lot of influence today because of how fake media is treated or fake news is mm. treated. It's it's and it's you know, obviously it's taken a strange turn from <laughs> the worse. Yes. Um but the War of the Worlds broadcast too also is in a lot of ways a benchmark for like uh, for pop culture itself. Oh absolutely. I mean it's it's what leads people to wanting a War of the Worlds on screen. Yep. You get that with the George Powell version in the 50s and then eventually Spielberg's going like say what if I did it but I had Tom Cruise running. <laughs> and, and you know so like I'm actually it's funny that you that's one of your first exposures to old time radio in general. Yeah. Um what be a, a, as a fan of it which do you prefer the first half or the second half? So basically, do you like when it's a news broadcast or do you like when it turns to the narrative? I so and that's the thing is I enjoy both quite a bit. Right. I I think the news broadcast is more of what sells it and really makes it what it is. That's the that's the correct answer. But I have you. Thank you. I found myself defending that second half way more in recent years going like it's almost like it's it, it if the first half almost seems like a dream. Yeah. Even though we know it's unfolding in a realistic aesthetic and then you have some of this distance because of the way the studio break happens and then you go into him actually going into a dramatic narrative and it almost just feels like we're being th- we're being shifted into the new reality. Yeah. That like no longer can we communicate by radio. Now we have to communicate by dramatic storytelling. So it's almost like by necessity. Yeah. But at the same time, you as a listener understand that something happened for them to switch as dramatically as they did without any thorough transition. Yeah, no explanations, just... <laughs> and it's that dead silence, too, just oh. before we get to that, like that absolute dead silence where it cuts off and he's holding. Yeah. That silence is absolutely deafening. It's so great. I do. I listen to it every October 30th of the, the date of the broadcast. Oh. I listen to it like as late at night as I can, and I turn... I've been doing it a lot by putting it on the YouTube app on my television, and That's then I smart. just listen with deep earbuds and i just close my eyes and whenever i get to that point of the deafening silence my heart starts racing (laughs) i love this it's it's fantastic i'm gonna steal this idea from you dude like well that's the thing this new (laughs) this new invention that i have behind me called a radio (laughs) Um, (laughs) i I can actually like hook up the cd now so i'm actually gonna listen to it from there this time nice so that'll be a new experience for me. Ooh. It's just been kind of weird in my old space. Now I'm in a new space. Yay. Um, and what better way to christen this new space than with a discussion about an old friend like the shadow? Yes. Um, now, 
Was this your first ever exposure to The Shadow or were you familiar with a 1994 film that's pretty good despite what people say about it? Uh, so that's <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that because I was playing some video games with Anthony the other day uh-huh. and I mentioned to him that I was going to be doing this podcast with you yeah. and we were going to discuss The Shadow and he was like, oh, the Alec Baldwin movie? And I was like, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? And then, uh, yeah, and then, so today before I left work, I was like, oh yeah, I have to, I have to look into this. And so I looked up the, <laughs> the movie and the, <laughs> Uh, even the poster of it is almost exactly just the tape it's cover. It's just the logo. It's, it's wild. <laughs> and so, yeah, no, I didn't even know it existed. Yeah. Probably because it has Alec Baldwin in it. Oh, well. So. Well, the, the you know, obviously, like, well, like let's address it up front. Alec Baldwin's obviously got bigger problems right now than what we're about to say <laughs> about his film from 1994. Well, yes, yes. Uh, but, uh, yes, no, this was like, he lost out on Batman. So oh. I the the prevailing thought is is that this is was his attempt to do a Batman now, sort of thing. I could understand that tra- train of thought because listening to this, which yes was my first exposure to the Shadow, mm-hmm. uh, was there was a lot of like themes to it where I was like, oh yeah, this is very uh, Batman esque. Yeah, uh, I yeah, I'm very excited to talk about it. Bob Kane has referenced the Shadow as a direct influence, I along with uh, the uh, Zorro and. Other, and and other swash like other noirs and swashbucklers yeah. of that f- sort, but the the shadow itself is it's weird because we're we're diving again into superheroes, which we haven't really done since talking about Batman under the Adam West auspices, Ooh. which which was fun. Yeah. I love Batman sixty six, oh, yeah. but here we're actually talking about a sincere approach to superheroes, which, um. It's so interesting to talk about this with you. My first exposure to The Shadow was this episode. Excellent. Same page then. And I would listen to episodes following that. I mostly listened to Orson Welles' years whenever I could find them. And I not only saw The Shadow film as early on as like middle school, but I have clung to it ever since because it's the only... At, for a time, it was the only old-time radio-themed movie that we really had. <laughs> and there's other ones that have been made since, and then since then, those directors have been proven to be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so The Shadow, up until the last year with Baldwin, was my only thing to keep holding on to. Yeah. Um, but, so, like, I, even with my love of the film, uh, let me phrase even though though even with my love of the film and the show it's funny to later learn as an adult how messy this origin story is for the creation of this character considering especially that i grew you and i both grew up in this environment where superhero movies were catapulting yeah into what would eventually become mcu territory and yep. DCEU territory and anything else you want to name uh, where mythos and mythology and origin and adherence to character are taken very seriously. Absolutely. And I remember being in film school and finding out more about the shadows origins because I really listened to the radio show. I've still never really picked up many of the pulps magazines. I've never really read the comics. It's really been a radio thing with the exception of the film. Yeah. And I know that there are black, uh, there are golden age Hollywood films of the shadow that were made back in the 30s and 40s which i will be 
bringing into this show at some point. I need to be on that yeah, show. Yeah, I'm going to not only bring you on, but we're going to talk about like how in the hell they adapted to oh, to film. Yes. Because the thing is, the shadow is such an audible medium. But even with all of that in mind, to find out how scattered this origin story is, it, it would piss everybody on the internet off <laughs> <laughs> to learn that more than off, more often than not, a, sh- a character like the Shadow or the Phantom doesn't really come out of any Siegel and Schuster desire to tell a story to make up for the fact that they were bullied. Yeah. Sometimes it's made for cold, hard cash. Yeah. <laughs> uh, specifically for a coal company. Yeah, for a coal, blue coal. <laughs> blue well, coal. before there was blue coal, there was simply Street and Smith. Mm. Now, the shadow, let's go back to the history of the shadow. And for reference, there is a shadow radio documentary from 1985 yes. that's about two hours long that you can get a lot of the basic story in here. And additionally, there is Martin Graham's wonderful Wonderful, wonderful and very long book, The Shadow, The History and Mystery of the Radio Program 1930 to 1954, out there from Bear Manor Media. You can get it on Kindle for 30 bucks and you can settle down for 854 pages of detail. <laughs> Well, I, I love Martin Grahams because it makes it, it anytime you think, you know, something Martin Grahams will throw 50 pages at you to tell you that, you know, nothing. You're wrong. You know, nothing at all. Yeah. Wrong, wrong, wrong. <laughs> like, that's what I keep reading every. I know there are words. There are comprehensible words. But you ever read a book and it just says to you, you suck. Yep. You suck. Oh, yeah. You suck. Absolutely. <laughs> every book in high school. Put down the that. book. Get back to your TV. <laughs> <laughs> it's become sentient. Um, so what if I were to tell you that? this didn't begin as a, a crime-fighting crusader. This began as an anthology story. <laughs> well, and I so it's funny. You sent me the link for the uh, the YouTube doc. Well, not YouTube documentary. It's on YouTube. Yeah, it's a it's it's an audio documentary from 1985, which is also fascinating to me because my Neanderthal brain doesn't think about like, oh, yeah, they did documentaries on the radio at some point. Yeah, I don't hear a lot of them, but when I when I stumble across these, I'm like, oh fuck yeah, it's time to listen for a couple of hours. It's pretty fascinating. I, I think I made it. I made it a little over halfway through on it, and it doesn't. It doesn't. That's the thing about it. And we could post a link to this, or I may even fuck it. Maybe I'll just play this thing at the end of the there episode. Um, but this thing is like, it's not uninteresting. No, it's really interesting. Yeah, and and that's coming from. Once again, the perspective of someone who had not really had much interested interest in like old radio stuff, yeah, uh, other than War of the Worlds, and then hearing this episode and then going directly into listening to that uh, audio documentary was like probably one of the most fascinating things I've ever ever uh, experienced. Well, not ever experienced, but lately experienced. But it, but, it, but it, well, I can I make the assumption that it's because you're brought into something that you weren't fully like not fully aware of. Like, it's just like you never really had a reason to look into that. Absolutely. Or- well, and it, it was also it's also always astonishing to me to find out things that were wildly popular that I've just never heard of. Yeah. And then so it's like, OK, so this was big enough that there's books written about it. There's an audio documentary. Like I, that's there's wild. There's an Alec Baldwin there's movie. There's an Alec Baldwin movie <laughs> with Jonathan Winters as the commissioner. <laughs> oh, John Lone as the villain. Wait, what? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Maybe John, I'm maybe I'm gonna watch this movie. It's really actually kind of funny because like when you know, so like one of the shadows' powers obviously is he can do a little bit of a kind of like mind 
mind trick thing, which we right. hear at the end of this episode that we're about to talk about in the movie. It's Alec Baldwin finding out that like his his uncle is the commissioner and he's going like, I'm going to investigate this shadow. And he has to go into the, the, the dark clouds of his mind and goes like, you're not going to investigate the shadow. And you hear Jonathan Winters going like, no, I'm not going to investigate the shadow. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's just kind of weird watching Jonathan Winters take this super seriously. Yeah. I, was, I, I know he's a good actor, but it was like one of those things going like, man, like I just didn't expect you to end up here in 1994. Right. <laughs> I, I, the only other thing that's more baffling is you appearing in Frosty Returns. Oh, <laughs> um, which, stellar. Yeah, he drinking hot cocoa. That's what I remember the most. <laughs> um, but... So I told you, like, obviously, like, so you listening to the audio documentary, you got a glimpse of what we're about to talk about, which is this radio conception of the shadow kind of comes out out of a desire to sell issues of Street and Smith's Detective Story magazine. Yeah. Um, now, the 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 creator of the shadow mm -hmm. is its own fucking whirlwind <laughs> nonsense that's why martin grams had to write 800 and fucking pages of this book because there's so many people having their toes dipped in the it's well all over the place the the guy the guy some guy who was given credit upon his death in 1935 was under the name harry e charlotte who to clarify harry e charlotte was instigating the idea of a narrator of a mysterious figure yep. but it had to be clarified in the shadow magazine itself in 1935 recent newspaper articles reporting the death of harry e charlotte have credited him with creating the shadow stories for street and smith we wish to say that the shadow was created by maxwell grant uh walters gibson's pen name and that every shadow story printed has come from the pen of Mr. Grant as the exclusive author of the shadow's exploits, and they will continue to produce them for the shadow magazine alone. Any other statements are erroneous. Ooh. Ooh. And this is 1930. So when you hear the word erroneous, oh, yeah. you're in for some shit. It's getting real. Yeah, it's 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 the it's the thirties equivalent of Martin Lawrence going shit just got real in Bad Boys <laughs> too. <laughs> um, now the um, the but Charlotte had some had had his own writing background. Everybody seems to have been an author at some point. Yeah, <laughs> in the 30s. sounds like it. In the twenties and thirties, uh, uh, he was no exception. Um, he had uh, written story, short stories like the Paris Flapper for an issue of McCall's in nineteen twenty eight. Um, but the creation of the show comes after Street and Smith start seeing the popularity of a radio program being put on by another publisher out there yeah. called McFadden. And McFadden created this true story magazine that capitalized on the medium of radio um, with the help of the, uh, the, 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 the Judson Radio Company is what um, Martin Graham's book points it out to be. Yeah. Uh, Judson Radio. And so Street and Smith publishers want to get involved in this too for their own Detective Stories magazine, which had come off of being formerly known as Nick Carter Detective Magazines. Right. So they want to get involved in this. So David Chrisman of the Ruthroff and Ryan Ad Agency um, helps pitch Street and Smith execs on the idea of moving into the radio game for this kind of venture. So there was a, sl a slew of ideas being thrown at the wall and one of them was this introducer of the stories in the form of a mysterious figure known as the shadow but the origin story of a shadow character itself seems to have its own kind of mystery surrounding it too because yeah. 
there seems to be claims and Martin Graham's book kind of broke them down very nicely, but there's claims to there being prior street and Smith stories and other uh, pulps that would have a shadow character. Um, and the, uh, the long story short though, is, is that the summation of all of these findings is counteracted by Gibson and editor John Nanovich of the Shadow Magazine, adamantly maintaining that the Shadow was conceived um, by them in the form of this Lamont Cranston figure. Right. So the idea of a crime fighter or even a anti-hero is not necessarily being lifted from any other pulp put into this anthology and then being given over to Gibson to form. Yeah. This thing kind of evolved in a executive pitch meeting <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is bizarre because the, really the focus of these original shows was the shadow would introduce a story that is found in detective story magazine yeah and then you could pick up that magazine and read the story over again wait for next week's story well yeah he did an intro and then he did an outro yeah exactly and that was it yeah pretty much and so he had like two, what, two or three lines. Yeah. And that was that. And it's one of two technical announcers because then you also have the straight announcer yep. who's all boring. And yeah. But then you have, but then you, but then you have the, 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 the people like James Lacurto, James Lacurto doing the shadow voice first and then mm. later Frank Reddick. But Ken Roberts was the first announcer and he kind of stuck around for a pretty good long time on the yeah. show in all of its incarnations. So, the first broadcast takes place on July 1st, 1930. The popularity of the show is so much that the shadow figure becomes a matter of intrigue. Who is the shadow? Yep. We're more interested in him than, that, in him than your fucking stories. <laughs> <laughs> Give us more of this guy. Yep. Not the other things, this guy. And so... The popularity of the character led Street and Smith Publishing to come up with a shadow magazine itself. Um, they hadn't anticipated this kind of event. So a decision was made by Henry William Ralston. And he turned to Detective Story Magazine editor Frank Blackwell to find an outside author to create new stories for Shadow. Blackwell, in turn, brought aboard a 33-year-old freelance journalist named Walter Gibson in December of 1930. Now, Gibson was an avid magician who had... I love. Ghost, I love that. Ghost wrote two books on magic. Yeah. It makes total sense that he would turn Lamont Cranston into what it is. Absolutely. <laughs> it's like, of course, a magic geek wrote this character. <laughs> and, that's, and that's said with all respect to magic geeks. I am not anti-magic. We love all geeks of all kinds. Illusion, Michael. Illusion. <laughs> for, for all my Arrested Development fans oh, out there. So happy. Yeah. Now, Gibson's reputation for quick turnaround had reportedly led to the belief in his ability to crank out a fully formed shadow magazine within a 60 oh, God. Something, something like writing like 40 pages a day. 30 to 40 pages. Oh, so you, yeah, you remember this. Ugh. So for the listeners at home, Brent described what his schedule is like. I, well, is I remember he said he was he was writing 40 pages a day. And then I don't remember the other, the other stuff he had to ba do too, but... Basically, he says if he wrote 40 pages, he would get done in five days because yeah. it's a 200-page assignment. If he wrote 30 <sighs> a day, he'd take a little bit longer. Um, now, Gibson, um, the first issue of the Saturday Magazine ended up selling out yes. 50,000 copies. The second issue had its press run doubled, and it proved to still not S be enough. Still sold out. So they went from a monthly to, to a bi-monthly, bi bi yeah. and then... <laughs> 
They had to keep cranking this stuff out as fast as they could. This is nuts. Gibson was he was initially brought on to with the promise of three more stories being purchased if the first one was published. Yeah. He would end up writing 282 of 325 issues of this fucking magazine. It's insane. <laughs> that is a lot of... I don't know if... This is the thing. Let's talk about this within a comic book context. Yeah. Okay, so Stan Lee comes up with the story of Spider-Man with Steve mm-hmm. Ditko. How many issues... I'm Again... I'm not the world's biggest comic book expert. How many issues Neither of Spider-Man do you think? How many issues of Spider-Man do you realistically think only Stan Lee and Steve Ditko are getting their hands on in the story realm? It ends oh. up coming from a team of people. Yeah, no, there's no way. It's the majority did not come from just the two of them. Yeah, no, it's 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 the basic pitch, and then you have the Marvel staff working on it. Yeah, and if I'm wrong, please write to me at uh, on Twitter, and I will respond by saying I told you I know nothing about comic books themselves. Yes, apart from basic basic history um also <laughs> i know for a fact that um steve gitko was robbed of credit by stanley anyway whoa <laughs> um uh, jack kirby was also screwed over too now um <laughs> but no like but putting it into context comic books past present and future aren't mm-hmm. always written by the same people but these oh, yeah. pulp magazines tended to be written by a saint, a, like a, a key author for a particular run at times, but this seems fucking like this is creative control at its finest because oh, yeah. they knew to put him right there. And you hear about other pulp novelists or sci-fi writers of the era, whether it's Isaac Asimov, um, uh, William Campbell Jr. that we talked about, yeah. Billy Campbell Jr., um, uh, God, fuck, uh, uh, Al Frank. Um, um, uh, I'm sorry, L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. Oh, um, my favorite. But you hear you hear about all these pulp writers of the era typing this out because they're paid by the word or paid yep. by the page. And Gibson was able to make a solid living out of this. Oh, yeah. And he got a lot of his stories from inspiration of his travels around him. Like he literally would just lift things from his travels and stick them in there. And yeah. he would also make the series timely um, at, up until a certain point when he be proclaims like later in the, the 40s war had, yeah. yeah he had to stop making things as topical because the war was making it a little too real and difficult yeah and too depressing and yeah. so they literally started going into more supernatural or whodunit stuff yeah which is cool because the mythos of the shadow allows for mystic stuff going on and magical stuff and supernatural stuff so i love that because it's present in these early stories yeah but they start leaning on that a little bit more it seems in the 40s just for the comfort of the war of the war front to um, escape the war a little well, bit well yeah you've yeah. got to escape it that way or with a looney tune it's yeah, one of the yeah. two um now uh the uh, eventually the shadow is also used to serve as the narrator for other Street and Smith shows because other magazines at the Street and Smith <laughs> company are feeling left out. Yep. And so at one point, the shadow was narrating Love Story yes, magazine. Romance. Who, who knows what heartbreak lurks in oh. the hearts of men? Which is funny because this if you dope hear does. The, <laughs> if you hear the voice, it's I I don't know because because the, the beginning and the end you're hearing the pre-record I believe it's the Frank Reddick uh-huh. that you still hear at the beginning and end of every Shadow episode I'm trying to imagine Frank Reddick <laughs> narrating like and today we have a, a fiendish frivolous romance <laughs> yeah I, I can't called, even it's called One Night Stand I would Enjoy. hope they would throw the laugh in somewhere too though just you know just for good measure it, it's just it's so like. <laughs> 
at that point, if I found a recording of it, I'd be putting a laugh track to it. Uh. I wouldn't be able to take it seriously. It's it's kind of like when I listen to a soap opera from radio. I'm just like, yes, this is admirable, but I really want to no. put a laugh track. Yep, hundred <laughs> percent. Like not out of disrespect, just for my own personal enjoyment. <laughs> if anybody else really likes just plain Bill, I get it. I no. guess. Um, now, uh, at various points, uh, this this character is also used in his own series, which only lasts five broadcasts, and the Blue Coal Radio review which was a variety program yes. that had a mystery element in the back half of the program so think early jack benny programs and then they just stuck the shadow in there yeah just get him in there somehow <laughs> some way yeah well and what's funny is is that actually martin graham's book brought this up early incarnations of jack's show during the canada dry years and the chevrolet tire years yeah had jack making fun of mystery programs with one called who killed mr x um, it's a mystery that spreads over a couple of episodes that in one point involves King Kong, Sherlock Holmes. What? And there's a narrator that's basically making fun of the Frank Reddick kind of character. Oh, this sounds amazing. It, there's not a lot of it fully available. <laughs> if I find all the episodes, I'll put them in a little bonus or I'll send yeah. them to you and maybe we could do a follow-up where we talk about the Jack Benny program, but in a very different way. Yes, please. Because you'd be listening to early Jack Benny and it's not fully formed. I <laughs> oh. It's it's you're you're hearing the baby steps and Harry Kahn's the writer and I'm not a fan of Harry Kahn's writing. Fair enough. It's it's weird because he's instrumental for the formation of Jack Benny, but I'm also just like, this isn't that fun. <laughs> I like this one. It's goofy as shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, uh, the 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 this is the thing that I found interesting. Martin Graham's book had a discussion regarding the scripting process that would then lead to the formation of what we know as the shadow with Lamont Cranston because the shadow magazine started creating a continuity that the radio show wasn't taking care of. And by 1935, the show had finished its run as an anthology and there was an, there was a, there was a, a, a proposition made essentially to like, why are you not capitalizing on the Shadow Magazine's popularity on this radio show. Right. So from the Walter Gibson scripts section of Martin Graham's book, in a six-page summary composed by Walter Gibson, the writer recounted his years under contract with Street and Smith. He recalled, When I suggested a new radio program based on Lamont Cranston, I worked on the rough scripts at my own expense, expecting to either be paid for them by the purchaser or to share or receive due funds through SNS. They made it evident through Mr. Ralston that they were interested in only in making money from publishing the magazine <laughs> and that any promotional outgrowths would be mine if I established them. But anything clearing through SNS, uh, Street and Smith, would be regarded as mutual and 50 50. While Gibson does not state the exact year these radio scripts were drafted, his accounts placed in a timeline before the sixth year of his employment at Street and Smith, which is 1937, and following his recollections on his third year of employment. At least four radio scripts are known to have exist from Walter Gibson's typewriter. One of the untitled scripts was dated 1934 via handwriting and dramatizes Cranston's battling against Calda, a master crook, and certainly fits within the time frame of Gibson's recollections. I am the shadow. My hand reaches out above the underworld to pluck men of evil from their lairs and hurl to them to their dune. Crooks tremble at the sight of my spectral figure. They fall before the thunder of my mighty weapon. Laugh. Let men men of crime heed my warning. I bring death to those who deal in evil. I am the shadow. Laugh. 
Now, in this radio script, mm. circulating among collectors' hands, the shadow is not invisible as he is in the later continuity series, but is taken directly from the pulps, a mysterious figure cloaked in black lurking in the darkness. After his agents, Cliff Marsland and Harry Vincent, discover a plot to murder a society woman named Carol Croden, the shadow under the alias of Lamont Cranston, which is very murky in and of itself because yeah. in the pulps he's known as kent allard and he uses the convenience of lamont cranston as a uh, as a uh, as a proxy yeah. for things he wants to do um as the shadow but in the radio show he becomes lamont cranston eventually these things get merged um and the ability to cloak men's minds is something that was come up came up with as far as the radio show is concerned from what i understand interesting if i'm wrong please 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 shadow fans let me know and correct me <laughs> but i remember reading this in either an anthony tolan thing or something around there where the radio show was what innovated the whole clouding men's minds and a lot of that because it was something that could be audibly done on the radio right now uh the uh, but there is so but to kind of wrap it up with this whole thing about Gibson scripts, there is no evidence of any of the four scripts to suggest they were ever broadcast. But these things are seen to have appeared to be as early as 1934 in development. Interesting. Now, but again, though, after these five sporadic seasons, they come up with this idea to try to pitch this. And Blue Coal is sponsoring at this point. Yeah, they are, baby. And they're not exactly sure that this will work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they saw the possibility of this. Blue Coal is resisted. And in two years' time, a new radio agreement is reached where Blue Coal gives them the opportunity to do this. Um, Gibson joins forces with Edward Hale Bertstadt to develop this new radio series. So they are the two key creative forces behind this new series that will become the shadow that we know. Now, per Martin Graham's book, we have to talk a little bit about a certain wells in the room. Um, (laughs) That's right. Before I invaded <laughs> Earth from Mars, before I was a citizen named Kane, I was simply known as the Shadow. Now, Orson Welles at this time was innovating the American theater. You know, yeah. like you do on yeah. a Thursday. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Didn't you do that right before you came in here? Yeah, you oh, changed 100%. the American theater? Yeah. It's yeah. just, you know, just a simple thing you do well, just one day. Are you from Colorado? Are you from, yeah. like, you're from yeah. Colorado? Well, anybody who's close to the West or Midwest, everybody goes out and innovates theater on a Thursday. Uh, absolutely. Easy. Yeah. No, 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 no. We're not Orson Welles. This man was a genius. <laughs> He innovated the American stage with such adaptations of Shakespearean classics as Macbeth, where he did an all African-American version of Macbeth uh, that uh, is is problematic by today's standards. Because oh, yeah, of I'm sure. It, yeah, but, I'm sure. But, but it was innovative at the time, and there's there's a lot of progress made because of it. And he did an adaptation of Julius Caesar that would become very influential because of how it handled, amongst other things, fascism coming out of Germany. Yes. Um, now, he is also looking for a little bit more of a national stage because he's known in the East Coast, but I want more. I, I want way more. I need it all. I want so much. You have no idea, Brent. Brent, <laughs> do you have any idea what it's like to only be known in New York? 
it's fucking stupid. I don't even know what it's like to be known in one city. Can you imagine if I went to back to my hometown of Kenosha and they suddenly <laughs> were like, oh shit, Orson not only did good, but I have him on a refrigerator magnet. <laughs> um, look at that refrigerator magnet. Now look at it walking down the street. That's me. Um, now, um, one story per the Graham book has an executive from Ruth Roth and Ryan approaching him with the possibility of starring on a weekly radio program, which with terms that suited the actor who was craving a national audience. Another one shows Wells to be a little bit more desperate. <laughs> so, um, according to actor Ryan Hardy Andrews, Orson Wells wasn't approached for the role, but instead tried out for the role. And Ooh. as Andrew recalled in a corner of Chicago in 1963, at an audition that went on for hours, I listened until I could no longer distinguish one basso profundo from another. <laughs> <laughs> this globular youth with a patriarchal beard that looked false, what wasn't, but wasn't, stepped up to the microphone, spoke the test lines as if he flung them in our faces, wow. and won the job by acclamation, if only because he frightened the audition jury half to death. <laughs> I'm oh, sure he did. A week later, he was at the agency and announcing that he could not only star in the show, but produce and direct it oh. <laughs> and also do the writing for less than the four men doing these jobs were paid and a whole lot better. Uh, in parentheses, and by the way, it ought to be noted in passing that every recollection in his book was inaccurate. Oh. <laughs> so most people suspect this story is also inaccurate, but... I mentioned it because it's a great fucking story. Yes, it is. Um, my guess is that it's the first one is that somebody wanted somebody from the Mercury Theater yeah. on board. I had to tell that story, though, because it sort of lines up with stories you hear about Orson getting into this character. Yeah. He didn't attend rehearsal. <laughs> well, yeah, in the, I, on the, uh, the audio documentary yeah they were talking about how he, he was the one that was there the least amount of time for it he <laughs> would he would spend an hour a week working on it and 30 minutes of that hour was his commute there and back mm -hmm. and so he, that's a total of being there for half an hour mm -hmm. he didn't read the script beforehand mm -hmm. and then he would just go into it and he, i will I, lay in a clip because i don't want to say what he says <laughs> Because he says a he says a derogatory term, not oh, yeah. not out of not out of like he's not trying to be offensive. That's just that's the character they're giving him to yeah. say. But after you hear this clip here in a second, I'll kind of break it down. I'd been contributing from my radio salary. I kept putting a thousand dollars or so every week, so we'd get the show on, and we got all our plays on before anybody else because I was doing radio all day long soap operas and everything else. I, I used to go by ambulance from one, one radio station to another because I discovered there was no law in New York that you had to be sick to travel in an ambulance. <laughs> so I hired the ambulance and I would go from CBS to NBC. They'd hold an elevator for me. I'd go up to the fifth floor, go into the studio, whichever I was booked for. I'd say, what's the character? They'd say, 80-year-old Chinaman. And I'd go on and do the 80-year-old Chinaman and then rush off somewhere else. And <laughs> I was, I had been for a year and a half auditioning hopelessly as an actor, never could get a job on radio. Suddenly I got one part, and in about a month I was making, in those days, tax-free, about fifteen to eighteen hundred dollars a week as an unknown radio actor, without my name being mentioned. 
So basically what Orson is saying in this clip is that they're lit- he's literally going in an ambulance from studio to <laughs> studio because there's no law. And they're literally handing him a character on this fly and saying, go. Yep. Now, if he's doing a regular series like this, he literally knows what the Lamont Cranston character is going to be. Yeah. If you listen to his performances, like we're going to, like we're talking, like we can kind of start talking about this story now. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, He, there are points where he pauses. And I wonder if that's because he's both <laughs> acting and, and processing the words he hasn't read up until this point. Just before saying it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I think that's probably what's going on. <laughs> it's not, it's not a detriment. No. To, uh, to this performance. I love orson as the shadow he is not i think he's the least interested in the character and yet somehow he's the most immersed in the character apart from others to follow him and i just i but i feel like there's something about orson's aura is so undeniably powerful that it's impossible for me to say that it's impossible for me to find like a criticism in there that's like worth bringing up. I'm just like, yeah, but I want to fucking listen to him even if he's oh, at absolutely. his worst. Absolutely. Well, and it's it's funny because coming in blind on this, you know, I saw on the the YouTube video of what we listened to for it that it was Orson Welles. And I was like, wait, Orson Welles? Okay. Mm-hmm. Definitely confuses how I've never heard of this even more now. Yeah. But then listening to the audio documentary... And learning that there were multiple people that voiced the shadow Mm -hmm. and Orson Welles did the fewest amount of episodes out of all those people. (laughs) I was like, wait, what? This has lasted for so long and it's not even really a thing. I mean, they they talked about how it's just kind of a thing that he was using as a platform to bump himself up a bit more in his career. Yes, because this is just before that little program that you talked about at the beginning of that, the show. That tiny thing that no one's heard of. That, that, that no one heard of and didn't produce Citizen Kane. Nope. Um, <laughs> so, um, but yes, we have Orson Welles. And as Margot Lane in this episode, we have mm. Agnes Moorhead. Yes. Agnes Moorhead, who would go on, who was part of the Mercury Theater, would go on to be a key player in the Mercury Theater on the air. And later in Orson's film career, not the least of which in a film we talked about not too long ago, The Magnificent Ambersons as yes. Fanny. So Aggie Moorhead's here. Um, and uh, additionally, we have Ken Roberts here as the announcer. And I like kind of listening to Ken Roberts in that interview talking like like in this like awe of Orson. Yeah. It's like everybody builds up their own legend of him. His is the calmest I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of just like, man, like you just, you're just accepting of this. Oh, like yeah. you're not, you're not so, so much excited as you are just like, nah, this is just what it is, this, bro. This it's, is, these are the facts. It's what it is. <laughs> now, the other actors involved in this production is difficult. There is a notice in Martin Graham's book that not every cast member is able to be fully pulled up in terms of their involvement. But Martin Graham's book has this fully being labeled as a broadcast from March 13th, 1938. Mm. The week after this, we have the last episode in the full season run. Right. Before they move into a summer season with good rich tires. <laughs> and the episode after this finally credits Orson Welles with the role of the shadow. Interesting. Yes. 
I'm glad you say that word because I find it interesting because the White Legion episode of The Shadow is very... It's weird. It actually kind of feels relevant to today. Yeah. Just like this one. Yes. Oh my um, gosh. For yes. different reasons. Um, and the title is not necessarily what you're thinking. I yeah. But when you listen Concerning. to it, but when you listen no, but when you listen to it, you might be like, Well, I'm not saying that yeah. they, those guys wouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but uh the um uh but the silent avenger, I would argue out of all of the Orson Welles run, this is by far the most grounded in reality. Interesting. Okay. This is this is such a s- tricky subject. Yeah. Post-traumatic stress disorder. I, 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 oh, gosh. I'm so happy that that was what it dealt with. I don't know. I When I listened to it, I was expecting mm, not that at all. I was like, this isn't going to okay, touch so on PTSD. Here's a, here's a <laughs> question. What were you expecting when you heard the title Silent Adventure? Like, that, uh, that is a good question. Because these titles are very, like, gripping because they're yeah, pulpy. Yeah, you know? well... Also thinking Silent Avenger, and I'm like, wait, this is a fucking radio show? (laughs) I don't know what's going to happen here. Uh, I I didn't know what to expect either which way. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, I expected to be confused the entire time, which Mm -hmm. luckily I was not. No, it got you by the hand pretty well. Yeah, no. Well, and yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't understand some of the, some of his powers per se, but uh, he you has know. the ability to cloud men's minds. Yeah, and I, that I didn't strike I terror didn't. into the hearts of the criminal world. <laughs> Brent, didn't you grow up reading The Shadow every day? No. Oh, that's right. No, you watched no. Power Rangers. <laughs> well, I wasn't allowed to watch that, but you know, I did other stuff. <laughs> We're allowed to watch Power Rangers? No. Oh. I could eat their oatmeal, but I couldn't. I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't watch them. Were you allowed to eat any blue coal? <laughs> No, but America's I finest anthracite. The biggest desire to buy blue coal now. You have like this. Can we talk about blue coal. <laughs> they, they, uh, I uh, I was doing some art the first time I listened to this episode because uh, full disclosure, we talked about doing this like months and months and months ago. Yeah, and uh, so I listened to the episode. And I was doing some art stuff, and all I was drawing was like blue coal, for <laughs> just like stupid ads for blue coal. It, it was, it was great. It was like, but like this is like it was known as America's favorite anthracite, which yeah. is hard coal, and it's a hard, compact variety of coal that has a submetallic luster. Does your water get cold too fast? <laughs> blue coal. <laughs> Do you have trouble moving your fingers because of the stiffness due to the freezing winter? Blue coal. Blue coal. <laughs> Do you have the natural desire to not die of death in the cold? Blue coal. Blue coal. <laughs> well, it's funny because the the ad for it, uh, I think, he's, what is it? Find your local blue coal dealer and ask about a fr- uh, not a free ton, but he says like a a, a ton. Yeah. They want you to go buy a ton of blue coal. Yeah, a well, full ton. Well, now this is like th- this. This sounds odd in an era when we are used to coal mining being brought up as a political yep. point of strangeness. Yeah, but back then, yes, you did. Yeah. heat your house yeah. with coal amongst other possible options. Yeah, <laughs> and. Yep. Um, and I actually like it's so weird that like out of all the things that would sponsor this mystery superhero program, it would be the most basic household. Blue coal. <laughs> it's like a it's it's not like it's it's so weird. It's it's kind of like 
Johnson's Wax, which mm. is a floor wax and a glow coat for your floor, sponsored Fibber <laughs> McGee and Molly. And the only reason that that makes sense to me is because, well, of course, you need to have a shiny floor that that can keep up with the cleanliness because Fibber's closet's going to fall out and fucking trash the floor every goddamn week. <laughs> so, of course, it's got to look spiffy and Molly's just got to have the glow coat for it. Um, but is, All of those were foreign words to yeah, me. Yeah, I know. No, it's, it's, the, the concept is Fibber McGee has a fucking huge closet that he doesn't clean because he's a fucking hoarder. You've seen hoarders, right? Oh, yeah, totally. Think, think that, but on a weekly basis and you can only hear it. No, perfect. <laughs> you just hear this crumbling, huh. crashing. Mind clutter. That sounds familiar. Mind clutter. <laughs> That's a television show that needs to happen on A&E, Mind Clutter. We just ask you to declutter your brain. <laughs> um, but so Blue Coal comes, uh, Blue Coal kicks off the show with its own little advertisement for its 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 wonderful, wonderful coal. Um, and by the way, you can, um, if, if you want your copy of the Shadow Magazine, absolutely free. All you have to do is send a, ma- send a penny postcard to Blue Coal, 120 Broadway, New York City, or to Blue Coal in care of the state. So um, at the YBR station. So uh, guys, give me a fucking penny postcard. One penny postcard. One penny postcard. And then you'll get a copy of the Shadow Magazine, which is just something that I wrote in crayon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then we are led into this courtroom scene and the trial's about to end. And this Joseph Brecker is, uh, he's going to get that fucking noose, brother. (laughs) He's just done. I think the chair, technically. Oh but yeah, yeah, well, yeah. You know either way, I mean. either yeah, way. He, you know, it's he's, fine. he's gonna be. He's gonna be. He's going to the death house. Executed for his crimes. Yes. Do they say his crimes? I they don't, don't remember him are, saying his crimes. He's a crime. Like he. You did crimes of, worthy of death. He's he's found guilty of murder in the first degree. Now they ah. don't say what he is, but the the this is kind of the brilliance of this. You ever you ever watched a movie where you love being just dropped into the action? Oh, absolutely. You just love just going. Like, yeah. I don't really know what's going on. There's no background. It's like just, I don't need to know what the fuck the joker's backstory is <laughs> yeah. i don't need an entire movie about starting joaquin phoenix mm-hmm. but <laughs> we got it yeah we got it he's he's here to cause chaos don't worry we'll get a sequel too that's kind of <laughs> it's a musical too yeah. uh, it's new york new york but with the joker because of course it's gonna be um but joseph brecker is kind of just like he's clearly a gangster he clearly yeah. had some kind of like criminal activity going on yep. and he's this black sheep of the family because the only member other member of his family from from a sibling standpoint is danny um oh danny and oh danny boy the the, the true the, the true peak of the story yeah in this one just it, really we'll get to it but basically uh brecker uh before his sentence is passed he literally i love his his delivery on this going like i'm gonna pass sentence on you you judge oh wilson and sloan the prosecuting attorney and those 12 good chewing saps uh, chewing good saps on the jury <laughs> that was i so when i when i knew we were gonna listen to a radio show i was like okay so it's going to be slightly corny. And for it to open with that, I was like, okay, so it's slightly corny. Great. But this is but this is the beauty of what we're going to get to is when it decides to become <sighs> it's, fucking real. It's God, and it's so real. Full disclosure, if you have a difficulty with issues of PTSD, which I totally understand, I have yeah. my own issues with those in trauma, you, we're going to do our best to be respectful when we get to that Absolutely. point. But you have to understand that the beginning of this episode does not <laughs> indicate that Oof. we are going to be in for a major <laughs> political discussion, no. let alone a moral discussion. I was extremely shocked with the uh, <laughs> contrast between the two 
two themes and feelings. It's like if I was going to go into Rob Zombie's new monster movie and then get a four hour <laughs> lecture about the beauty of ecology. Yeah, like, <laughs> this is like, I wasn't, I'm going to take this, but just you just didn't. Your trailer did not prep me for this. Nope. nope. It told me wacky comedy with monsters. <laughs> was set up for failure here. Not, not a lesson in biology <laughs> that was essential to preserving life on this planet. <laughs> and it's not like a hidden message. You turtle, you had Herman Munster lecture. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, so Brecker is still sentenced to uh, is sentenced to the death house. Death penalty. Um, yes. yes, guilty. Um, and all the people. Uh, but he does say that one more person will pay for his crime, pay for pay for all of this. The man who was really responsible for getting him the shadow the shadow the shadow and all the people who leave the courtroom after court is adjourned they're just like oh i don't know what's going on do you think he could really pull off that threat oh yeah because his his full threat was i'm going to kill well they will die it's for every day i sit on death row every member of the jury will die Mm -hmm. and then on the day that he is uh i think he says fried maybe he doesn't say fried maybe that's too too bold of language for the time. On the but day of his execution, the, the governor, the will, governor will be killed mm-hmm. as well. Ooh, boy. And so it's a big threat yeah. to, to say when you're about to go to prison. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a bold thing. It's a bold claim. Yeah. You know, and nobody would ever believe that. No. Like, everybody's just like, ah, he's just talking out his ass. But who's in the who's in the courtroom but Lamont Cranston and Margot Lane? And... <laughs> And Mar, I love this line. Margot goes like, "It must be very flattering to inspire such awe and fear, Lamont, because everybody talking about yep. the shadow and who could he possibly be?" He goes like, "It has its disadvantages, Margot. Unfortunately, the mystery, sh- mystery surrounding the shadow inspires fear and terror in the innocent as well as the guilty." <laughs> Which so it's that kind was of like Batman. I was going to say that's a line that reminded me of Batman. Yeah, oh. elaborate, elaborate. So, well, I mean, thinking about well, well pretty much all of them, there's a mixed feeling on Batman mm-hmm. from all sides. And if you look at like the innocent side of it, there's a lot of fear. People are afraid of what he could be, what he could represent. And then there's fear from the criminals that they're going to get their ass kicked. Exactly. And then there's, all, that's also any superhero to anybody oh, yeah. that's considered a vigilante. Vigilante. Yep. But Lamont Cranston then goes, I love this line. There's no help for it. The shadow must remain a shadow. A shadow. <laughs> Yep, you're right. He must. There's no helping it. Alfred, a Batman must remain a, a Batman. <laughs> Just a bat. I want, I want that line out of Robert Pattinson's <laughs> mouth in two years. <laughs> um, but no, he says, I'm going to pay a call on Joseph Brecker in prison. Yeah. And for those who are wondering, well, how is he going to possibly get into death row? Well, he can sneak in through the power of invisibility. He's a sneaky boy. Yeah, and this is radio, and who are you to tell me that? Yeah, not you can't doing it? see him already, asshole. Exactly. But before they go, like, before it's very clear, it's never really clear when the shadow necessarily enters. I think it's after Danny leaves. It's, yes, so Danny, uh, Danny comes to see Joe, mm-hmm. and they have a, a discussion, which I... I guess I don't know enough about how prisons work that I thought visitor time, I thought there would still be like a guard within like earshot because they're having a loud conversation about like, okay, bro, this is what you're going to do. I'm going to be in prison. You're going to kill this person, this person, this person. This is creative license up the wazoo going like, (laughs) you know, we we just, this this is the logic hole that we're choosing to ignore because nobody's going to, nobody was expecting these radio broadcasts to be repeated, Mm -hmm. (laughs) let alone talked about by us assholes. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So, 
they literally didn't consider like the logic point to matter probably because oh, yeah. they were just like, I wrote my script for the day. I got my paycheck. I'm going to go home and cook a meal. And they, I wrote 40 pages a day for the last five days. I, I'm done. I Walter Gibson am fucking tired. <laughs> uh, who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? I don't know. And I don't give a shit. <laughs> Time for me to listen to Jack Benny. <laughs> um, now, but no, he, but yeah, because this whole plot is basically a like a pickle confession, yeah, in the form of exposition. But the dialogue is very compelling, and that's what allowed my brain for so many years to just tune out that logic. Oh yeah, when I got older, I was like, this doesn't make this doesn't, <laughs> this wouldn't make any sense. There's no way that they would have not heard <laughs> something. <laughs> It's a it's, prison in the 30s. You don't think the chambers don't echo? Right. It's, it just didn't make sense, but that's okay. Yeah. It happens. Exactly. So, but he basically, Joseph going like, you know, you remember what I told you? And he goes like, yeah, the moment that they uh, put you in the death house, I kill one of them each day until yep. the we until the day you die. And the, the whole goal of Joe, or Joe is to get his sentence commuted. Mm-hmm. And we get... Joseph really just explaining to him, like going like, you're going to do this just like you were trained to do. Yep. Like when you were in the war yep. and where you got shell shocked. So it's hard for you to remember things. Well, and that's your first hint of what's what's happening. And then he he talks about the shadow. Mm-hmm. Ugh. And he's uh, I like that when he mentions the shadow that Danny says, you know, that he's like, he, oh, he's like the voices of the my the. Like I say, the dead friends. And- oh yeah, it's like um, uh, is it um, it, what, what was the line here? I have the line here from this. Oh good. Um, the line is, "All right, Joe, what about the fella I can't see? Hmm. Is he dead? Like all my buddies in the war? Yep. The ones that talk me talk to me in the dark. Whoo, <sighs> First set of chills in the episode. And 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 that's when Joe Brecker becomes. A truly chilling villain. Yep, hundred percent. Rather than a joke, where he's going off like Edward G. Robinson, going like, "I'll get you when all you fuckers in the jury." <laughs> now he's suddenly going like, "No, no, 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 no. This guy yeah. is different." He's using his brother. He's yeah to to do something that he was trained to do. That now, oh god, it's so dark. It's in wartime, and this is where we fall into this strange issue because so this is post World War One. Yep, this is a war that was. <laughs> Like any war, it has its detractors, but this does not. This is coming just before World War II. This is an anti-war statement coming at a time in 1938 when anti-war sentiment was very prevalent in this country. Yeah, because of the desire to keep out of the affairs coming out of Europe, and out of all the things that you hear out of the 30s and 40s. You you obviously you hear the big sh- shift the moment Pearl Harbor happens. Yeah, there's some lead up to it where you start hearing about the importance of reporting to your draft board and all this stuff. This is a flat out statement in 1938, and frankly, not too long before Wells would make an almost opposite <laughs> decision <Yeah. laughs> with the War of the Worlds to be like, pay attention to the world, yep. morons, like, yep. and like, like, because like, they, the War of the Worlds kind of proves we weren't prepared for anything, anything. to happen yeah. to this country, and that's an ignorance that we did not account for. That's a problem. Yeah. Whereas. This, whereas this is very much going towards the human element, and there is a, there is a difference between 
the morality around a war and the morality around what it does to a man or a soldier Absolutely. of any of any gender creed or color yeah and so what we're talking about is the overall construction of a soldier and yep. what it's at, what they are asked to do in time of war and then what they are expected to handle in peacetime. I'm almost positive you wrote the line down, so I know we'll get to it, but there's some mm-hmm. really it's, good lines about it later it's on. It's there. And so oh. Danny then leaves and Joe is going like, yeah, he'll get him. He'll get him. He'll, he'll get him all. And the shadow's going like, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? What did you say? Are you surprised to find me here, Joe Becker? And yet, prison are filled with shadows shadows in the minds of men walking in the shadow of death, death. itself i'm like ah. now suddenly like this, you're a horror fan this yeah. this eeks of horror yeah does it what did your mind conjure up when you heard the shadow entering somebody's mind what did your mind so, conjure up <laughs> this as previously mentioned did not fully understand his powers so i was slightly confused Mm -hmm. i was like wait is he in the cell with him Mm -hmm. is he outside and just talking to him telepathically he's in the cell with him okay and that was what i thought so i'm imagining uh shadows Mm -hmm. and a man in that shadow that is not able to be seen by joe or anyone else Mm -hmm. but uh also still in like my mind's eye if you're watching it as like a movie you could see like the detective outline so you'd know he's there a little bit yeah that's like that's funny because the shadow film from 94 approaches it that way interesting but he can also project out further from what i remember in episodes because there's episodes where he's literally projecting out further than conceivable oh but not like not like miles and miles and miles but like far enough that he could create some form of projection for communication. Ooh. Now, I, and again, I'm not the world's best shadow expert. So if, fair. if I don't understand the powers fully, it's only because like the powers, the powers work on a base level for me. I'm like, I know he can cloud men's minds. For me, it conjures up this horror imagery. Yeah. It conjures up the idea of pushing somebody alone in a corner. Yeah. And surrounding them with their worst Ooh. or something that, befuddles them to the point of the confusion that they are going to have when confronted with a voice out in the air that they cannot see. Right. And I think it works perfectly for this script because it is specifically about a person who hears voices in his head. Yep. So it's like, what happens when the shadow becomes one of many voices inside a very troubled head? Mm. That, to me, makes this one of the scariest fucking shows I've ever heard, especially by the end. But... The shadow basically susses out that his brother's behind it. Yeah, and you're and you're you're thinking about him going home to get a high powered rifle. Yep. But uh, and shadow the shadow goes. That's all I need to know, Brecker. All I need to know. Ha 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 ha. And gets out of there. And I love Orson Welles's laugh. Oh, me too. It's so good. It's so good. It's such a good little laugh. And the, and Danny's like, "You're not gonna." Oh, Joe's like, "You're not gonna stop him, Shadow. He'll get him." You're wrong. You're making guesses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And sure enough, Joe's right because one by one, these fucking jurors are getting I know. The fuck okay, off. so that was a big twist to me. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, so this is gonna end with him like getting them and. No one's going to die. Nope. Nope. Dead. Nope. This this show is unafraid to kill people. First juror, dead. 
Next one is a lady in the kitchen with her child. Uh, well, no, she's like, I think she's at the store. Either way, yeah. with her child. With her child. And the child's like, mommy? M- mother, may oh, I have some candy? Oh, it was, I was like, she's wow. She's killed right in front of her Right in front kid. of her kid. This yep. show, like like anybody who said, I, it's it's similar to anybody who says old time movies are boring. Anybody who would think, ah, oh, old time radio is corny. I'm just like, let me show you the fucking yeah. shadow. Oh uh, no, we're going to kill this mom. Yeah. It, sto- episodes before this and after this in certain respects have like, people in peril in terrible ways like on the brink of death or a flat out death the white legion episode right after this literally has a person dying by falling through a trap door we have no idea what happens to them but they end up oh. in the riverbank about a day later oh, good <laughs> yeah great people in cement shoes oh, fucking like yes, flat classic. out just being like stabbed and whatnot this this show's violent <laughs> it yeah i was shocked <laughs> and it works and it works so weird because like these are all innocent people dying which you mm-hmm. ideally would never want but it all serves the purpose of the drama and now this is when Lamont Cranston kind of pushes Margot into action. And let's talk about Margot Lane. How does she yeah. work for you as a sidekick or an assistant to Lamont? Uh, she's interesting. I enjoy her. Mm-hmm. I feel like she's kind of a, uh, a sounding board of... Uh, <laughs> You know, it's just, I don't even know how to describe her, but it's, she, she doesn't have the world's greatest agency. No, not really. <laughs> no. Uh, but she, I like that she is conversation piece to talk to. She, she, she provides humanity to Lamont that he would never otherwise possess. Right. Well, and it's just also bringing up stuff, you know, about like, She's she's the one asking questions about like, well, these are innocent people like, you yeah, know, I, I don't know. I like that she brings, you know, like you said, some humanity alongside to it. But she's uh, kind of like Alfred to Batman. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Or anybody to Superman. <laughs> Lois Lane, I guess. Yeah, okay, yeah I guess. I suppose. Lois Lane to Superman. Well, that's a good draw for it, I guess. Zack Snyder to Superman. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> I like that. Uh, but Fight no, I mean, me, I, people. I enjoyed her. Yeah, she. I think she's necessary. Yeah, I get the when you watch the Shadow film from '94, that that female sidekick slash damsel in distress motif seems to be put to its logical conclusion of like we have to make her a a, a little bit more powerful, but also we're going to keep some tropes intact. Right. I always feel like if you were going to kick the shadow off into a modern context or even to redevelop it. Yeah. You need to make Margot a little bit more, not just active, but also I want to hear more instead of like saying Lamont, give this up. Yeah, I would want her to be critical of his methods, like because there's some methods that he pulls off where it's like you're pushing this. Like the one thing is going to the Brecker mother, yeah, to uh, push for information, yeah, and it's like that's pushing a lot of humanity buttons because one of her sons is about to die and the other one has is has post traumatic stress disorder, which is labeled as shell shocked, yeah, for the purposes of this script, yeah, and and she's. Like that's a that's a move where it's like I don't know if that's a good idea for yeah. safety of anybody. Well, yeah, well, and I, <laughs> it's a now, good plan, but it's also like somebody going to die. Sending her in, yeah. at the mother's house, especially works really well mm-hmm. on one hand. But he also explains that his plan 
is that I want to send you into the mother's house because I'm pretty darn sure that Danny's going to come here. Yeah, Margot, I'm going to so put you right So he's directly in. saying, not only am I going to try to use you to get information, but you I'm going to put you right in front of a killer. Yeah, you might die. Or the killer in and, this scenario. And, but, so. and now, now, but the shadow is playing a card of just like, he's not going to know who she is. She has, he has no idea yep. what her intent is. So if yep. anything, he's just going to push her out the door. Yeah. But that's the, also just a hope though. You don't know. Well, that's the thing. The mother literally says out loud when Danny does come inside. Yeah. Showing like, no, Danny, I know you killed all those people, but it's okay. You don't have to do anymore because he comes back because Joe told him, don't go home to mom, mm-hmm. but mom will worry. No, you can't. You got to stay away from the old lady. He comes anyway on the day of Joseph's execution. Yeah. Like three minutes before. <laughs> yeah. And then they literally kind of listen to the clock countdown mm-hmm. after Danny arrives. And then suddenly the mom cries. The mom cries. She realizes it's like, yeah. it, it's a, the, the sound kind of dies a minute. Yeah. And it kind of just goes into like, Ding, yep. ding. And then you just hear this little slight pause before you hear Danny going like, now I got to go do one more thing for I Joe. I got to do the last thing Joe told me to do. And this mother pleads her yeah. head off. Yeah. And then she, and he's wondering who the fuck Marco is. Yeah. Cause like, yeah. And he asks and she's like, it's just a friend. She's just a friend. She came to sit with me. Just a friend. Just a friend. Yeah. And, um, and, and by the way, you know, we did skip ahead though. Did we talk about the fact that this program is sponsored by Blue Coal? Blue Coal. We, we got a bit of a middle <laughs> commercial here after the after Judge Wilson was shot. Because by the way, the judge does get it because they do refuse to commute yes. Pecker's sentence. Yes, obviously. they do. But yeah, let's let's take a minute to remember, folks, that during mild winter, Blue Coal banks for long periods with <laughs> light, little attention. Then Blue Coal immediately responds with minimum draft, sending uniform supply of heat through the living quarters of the home because blue coal burns down to a fine powdered ash it is not only an economical fuel but a particularly clean fuel say do you think it's clean fuel in the same way that's clean enough to clean up the atmosphere like coal's good coal's good for our air like the the sky totally clean is clean yeah and also if you mine for it there's no chance of you inhaling it and dying of a lung disease of some kind no and also there's no well this is this wouldn't give you the black lung this would give you the blue lung ah blue coal it's anthracite lung i gotcha anthracite asphyxiation (laughs) yeah it's perfect (laughs) um apologies to anybody who's ever died of black lung um this is um or family members (laughs) yeah um, but yes, you can find all of that coal in the where to buy section of your classified telephone directory. <laughs> classified. Yeah, that, was, could... that was wild. I like that they were like, I, it's funny because there were multiple times when they were doing the ad that I was like, man, I forgot what ads were like. They're much different now. Not all of them are like bad. Like it's it's kind of weird. Like they're most of them are formal. Yeah, it's not like having Joe Pesci in a Snickers commercial. Right. This is just like it's some of them are the hard sell, Mm -hmm. and then some of them are like Jack Benny or other comedians who are joking about the product, like you do with Joe Pesci in the Snickers bar to get people to buy the product. (laughs) But something that was funny is is that. Blue Coal wasn't the only sponsor for The Shadow, depending on who picked it up. This show went through the Mutual Audio Network. If you sent this out to affiliates in other markets, another market might be picking up the broadcast rights for that show in that area. And so they'd have announcers timed to do the commercial 
on time for their particular market before it switched back. Interesting. Which I find fascinating because that's got to be a coordination game from hell. Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't want to deal with that. No, that sounds terrible. You know how hard it was for us to figure out Zoom meetings for fucking (laughs) Ballyhoo? (laughs) <laughs> not not just you and I, like anybody. Anyone, no, yeah. Anybody sure. trying to figure out the cross section of like whose line's going into what. Yeah. I would not want to be in charge of directing no. that traffic at all. That sounds like a nightmare. Well, it's a, or does it sound like a shadow, a shadow entering your mind <laughs> and filling you with terror of advertisements? But no, um, so Danny Brecker is about to go out and kill. Um, and that. Danny has been kind of notified if the shadow were to come up. Oh, yeah. To use yes. one of those grenades Joe. he still has lying around. I was like, keep your grenades. Not only does he still have a high-powered rifle from World War One, he has a bunch of grenades. Grenades. And he's, if, if he, Danny, if you, if you, if you hear him, you pull a pin on one of those grenades, you throw it from the, the direction the voice is coming. Didn't they ask you to return those after <laughs> battle was done? No, they're keepsakes. Oh, oh, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's like if you find a Nazi knife in World War II, you get yeah, to keep yeah, a Nazi exactly. knife. And in exactly. no way should that mo- will that motivate your politics going forward no, whatsoever. No, no, That's why I wondered why the fuck my uncle had one. Oh, and I was like, okay, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> not not my not, No, not my uncle. My grandfather's brother. I never met the brother. Okay. But he... My grandfather did show me the knife. And I was like, what the fuck? Why? Why is this in here? This is the bad guy. This is uh, the bad guy. Did he kill the Nazi and take it? Because if so, that's the cool story. That's the better version. That's the cool story. But no, um, the shadow comes in and, uh, you know, he pleads to him, Danny, for your own sake, for your mother's sake. Turn yourself in. Yeah. And he's going like, uh, the voice came from there in the corner. Joe told me to throw the grenade. Goodbye, shadow. (laughs) The delivery on goodbye shadow is fantastic oh absolutely and the you hear the the windows breaking and explosions going on the sound design in this episode is fantastic pretty good it's it's a fantastic immersion in the world and it feels grimy this whole story feels grimy and gritty well and so what was great about the sound design for this grenade part especially is that you could hear danny running away yeah after he throws the grenade you could then hear the grenade being thrown through the glass. Yes. And then the explosion. And it was so perfectly executed that there was no need for them to have to describe what was happening, which is a big thing for, I would imagine most of these is you have to be pretty on the nose about what is happening. And this isn't always, "Ah, you've got a gun pointed at me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. There is times where you hear like a take this before the punch. Yeah. And that's something that I sometimes expect out of a comic book too, but it works in a comic book for yeah. some way. Yeah. Radio, it does too. But if I'm hearing it done today, it sounds a little awkward and I have to yeah. reposition myself. Whereas I'm hearing a broadcast like this, I'm already tuned into that. 100%. I would understand though if it feels awkward to anybody's listening because you have to get into your mindset of like it's necessary exposition for the theater of the mind. Yep. But the sound design, as you mentioned, because it is so tight, the action already plays in your head yeah and i noticed that when a shadow episode or even any good horror or action episode is written of a radio show Mm. it will it will pull back on those lines and it will not use them yeah i'm not saying that that makes them the best ever right but man it's really good at getting my mind there because 
when we get to the climax, like they literally go, um, Danny climbs up the, to the Wardman Tower to point his gun down and kill the governor who's oh, wait. coming by. Before we get there. Yeah. I have one other major issue. Well, okay. Who just throws a grenade in their mom's house? Well, if you were asking me that eight years ago, I would have said nobody. <laughs> okay. But the world has shown me that <laughs> I don't know what the fuck to expect anymore. That's fair. That's fair. So, okay. okay. But uh, no, I, to be honest, like it is a weird, like who would throw the grenade in their mouth? What, it, what do you try to get him out the door? Like going like, oh yeah, I'll cooperate and then go out the door and then throw the grenade maybe right? on the street. Yeah, just you know, anything. Your mom's house is ruined. <laughs> This this poor mom. And your mom's in there. Fucking this fucking mom. Her one son is a criminal who went yep. to the fucking death house and the other one's throwing grenades in there. Now granted, her son is her damaged. Her fine so, china is ruined. Yes. And I mean and now again, we are aware of the context that Joe yes. that, oh, that, Dan, that Danny is suffering from a major 100%. mental disease and trauma as a result. But still, it, you don't throw a grenade in the house. In your mom's house. In your mom's house. Come on. I mean, like, and and I was told that in this era, you just had to be a man and deal with it. So yeah. Yeah, the men, oh real God. men don't throw grenades in their mom's house. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, <laughs> also, they throw them in note, their grandmother's house. That's like, like the worst treatment for uh, mental health and PTSD. Oh, yeah. Throwing a grenade in your no, house. No, yeah. no, no. Oh, no. <laughs> the be a man about it thing. Oh, the be a Talk man about a shitty mindset. Yeah. But yeah, let's talk like as we're getting to the climax here. Let's yeah. talk about the way PTSD is approached here, I, because it ends in a way you're not expecting for this era. Oh, 100 percent. Because this era is asking you to push a lot of your pain aside. Yeah, and it's not even asking for an explanation. Yeah, it just expects you to do the thing. Mm -hmm. Danny is treated as a character, as someone who is genuinely suffering. Yep. He is clearly being manipulated. Yep. It is, if I, if this were a horror film, you would be expecting some kind of a spirit to be haunting him. Yeah. And in a sense, Joe is haunting him. Oh, 100%. Joe, it, Joe is the puppet master to all of it. Joe knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah, it's he, like he said all the tricks to, to, to cue Danny to do what he was going to do, even in death. Yep. And it's so unnerving that it, it it plays out like a horror movie. It starts off as a mystery adventure, yeah, and becomes a horror movie by the end. Well, and it's I love the way that or uh, a, uh, an action horror because there yeah. is a lot of tension, suspe a suspenseful, th uh, uh, you know, what? a suspenseful thriller. Yeah, because there is a lot of horror tendency with the ending. Yeah, but well, anyway. and I, I love the way that the shadow talks about it and i we I, we partially skipped over this when we were talking about um oh my god i'm now i'm just saying agnes um oh Ma margo lane yeah thank margo you lane, yeah. uh because he has a conversation with margo and they're talking about um what what uh, danny has done mm -hmm. and she's like well but these are innocent people that he's killed and that mm. brings out his his conversation about how well yes we're all innocent but we're all guilty Individually, because, we're all innocent, but all also, guilty. But also yeah. equally guilty. Because yeah. um, he's talking about how we have taken these young men and trained them to go and kill people. Yeah. And then we expect them to come home and live a normal life mm -hmm. and not 
and not yeah, and, kill and, and, and not and, and not ugh. not do what they did overseas yeah. Yeah. not what they to did to see even. value in life again exactly oh and just the general disposition towards ptsd seems like it it, w- it would seem in a today's world the military takes it far more seriously than they did in 1938 yeah. let alone the 19 1918 or 1865 or whatever yeah. <coughs> but the stigma still stands in other areas. Mm-hmm. And so this story still hits home. Yeah. So people who have experienced trauma in some form or fashion are still feeling the loss yep. of something in their selves. Um, and it's not it's not as if you can't function it but at the same time you're 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 searching for something to fill that thing that was missing. Yeah. Um, you are haunted by the thought of something that you can't shut out of your mind. Yep. Um, Danny obviously suffers from voices in his head. Yep. Some of us experience it in pictures in our minds right. when we're asleep, even when we're awake and it just flashes in front of you. Um, and so the ideas that are being presented in an audible format it's kind of weird as i've listened to this while dealing with my own issues like this and any other shadow program for that matter it's almost like it's catharsis yeah and this one in particular feels like a strange release because it's like you're experiencing a major emotion all at once and then it washes away yeah now it's not a solution you obviously no. don't just listen to this for therapy <laughs> but go to therapy yes please go to therapy this uh, much like Poptimistic, this show is sponsored now by therapy therapy yep. therapy go to therapy therapy and blue coal yeah <laughs> <laughs> Therapy and blue coal. Uh, after you're done heating your home with blue coal, go to therapy, which is a genuine statement you can make even if you don't burn your house with coal or heat your house with coal. Yeah. Sorry, but no. Um. So that as that leads us to the Waldman Tower for this climax yeah. and the shadow facing off with him. Uh, the the it. They put he pushes Joe he pushes Danny to really just not shoot. Yeah. Yeah. It, he like we start off with like the audience coming up and you know, he goes like just a couple more minutes, Joe, just a couple more minutes, and the governor's car will come along and he's waiting and you're you're getting a little yeah. exposition, but it's it's in his head. Yep. He's well, talking to his brother. I also like that he uh, you know, they're trying to fill the space because they want they want to draw out the tension, but so you hear him sighting in his rifle, like he's talking about Oh, uh, how zoomed in the rifle is and wind, wind velocity zero yeah, wind range velocity, 300 yep. yards yep. he'll die quick joe like you like died oh 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 and then um <clears throat> and then the shadow comes in and goes listen to me and you know you, you see danny your brother was wrong put down that rifle because joe said that the hand grenade would fix it mm-hmm. <laughs> would fix the shadow but the shadow obviously is just like well i can I can duck. Yeah. Like I can get out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) And also, how did you know that I was in that corner of the room? You can't necessarily be sure of that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I am after all invisible and I have clouded your, I have clouded your mind. Yep. (laughs) Yep. I also, I found it interesting and I'm probably looking into this too much, but, uh, this is now the second time that Danny has heard the shadow's voice. And this time he is already forgotten Mm -hmm. because he goes, who is that? And yeah. to me, I think that speaks more to 
all the voices that he's already hearing. And I don't know if that's what they were shooting for, but I think that's I it, it would be it would be difficult to uh, assign that level of depth. Oh yeah. Oh for sure. But that's how, how I took it. <laughs> however, Gibson's smart. Yeah. These writers that they brought in to build, make these pulps are smart. They've had their own life experiences. Yeah. Even if one of them didn't participate in war or even if somebody wasn't like emaciated in it the way somebody else around them might have been. Yeah. They're observational. They are aware. And they could possibly be lifting this from a stereotypical realm. I don't have a full answer for that because it well, is yeah this is supposed to be disposable entertainment so that yeah. it's not like a film where sometimes a writer has way more intent in it and we're not even talking about like the highest forms of radio drama here right for like lux radio theater or anything norman corwin had his hands on we're talking about the shadow which was seen as pulp fodder to a certain extent or something thrilling for kids or yeah you know the the, the kid in all of us and <laughs> the, so it's but but at the same time gibson clearly stated in that interview like we brought the real world in as we could and it yeah. made for more compelling storytelling yeah so it wouldn't surprise me if he had that thought but in his head looking at it <clears throat> at a then versus now too you look at like the different understandings of things and stuff too mm-hmm. it's like i don't know i mean mental health was not taken very seriously no but it's then. so weird how it gets so close to it, it. exactly like closer than yep. you ever hear yeah because so basically the shadow explains how like explains like look how i found you doesn't matter all that matters is that you must not kill those people and the shadow gets through to him. He goes, lay down, lay the gun down on that steel girder and crawl back to the catwalk. And Danny goes, all right, I'll put it down. But then he decides, it's unclear to my mind. It's always been like, does Danny give up or is Danny taking this to kill the shadow? And then he's going to find another way to kill the governor. I know. I think that he still has that voice of Joe inside his head. And so he, he still has the, I must kill the shadow. Mm, yeah, because he's and, still technically on the list. Yep. That's the thing. Yep. It's it's like if Kill Bill ended and then you realize she missed two names on her list. Yeah. I th- I think it once he realizes he's not going to kill the governor. Or yeah. Then whatever, at least he's going to get the shadow, he, which is the yeah, one who really put him away. And that's and that's something that Joe even mentions is that it was the shadow. The shadow was the one that was smart enough to catch him. The shadow was the one that was able to make him beyond death row so it's like exactly. that now becomes the most important one yeah and now um he goes to uh he 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 says talk to me shadow say something so i can tell where you are which that's yeah. the thing because he's clouding their minds because he's invisible this is a game of walking through a mental fog right we have this guy who's already in this mental fog and then uh he tells him to go crawl back to the catwalk come here and get me if you want shadow i don't have to do that danny um danny literally says some of the most this kicks off the most haunting ending to any radio program i've ever heard don't come near me shadow don't don't you touch me if you do i'll drop this hand grenade i'll throw it down on all those people i'll kill dozens of them there i've pulled the pin i'll throw it and the shadow says something that is i don't know if batman's had a decision this hard (laughs) in his life Listen to me. Hold that hand grenade, Danny. Hold it tight. Danny Brecker, see your fingers tighten about it. Your mind obeys mine. Do you hear me, Danny? Danny, hold it. Don't throw that hand grenade. Hold it. Hold it. 
we get this the yep. struggle of Danny being compelled by the power of persuasion that the shadow holds over a, a, a mind clouded by his. Well, and then he repeats it too. Yeah. He repeats, don't drop it, Dan. Danny says, don't drop it. It's so weird. It's, yeah. And it's so fucking terrifying. Yeah. Because the shadow has ultimately had to make the decision. I, I have, I can't save Danny. Yep. I want to because I know that this is not his fault. Yep. And that's, that is part of what he, he talks it well. He doesn't really explain that fully earlier on, but that with his conversation about how... Well, when he gets to the end, he's going to be very yep, fucking clear. Yep, very, very clear. <laughs> but we but Danny says the lines, don't drop it, Danny. Don't drop it, Danny. Don't drop it. And then you hear yep. a grenade going off and the music just fades up. And it's, it's, it's such a fucking, like, holy fucking shit. Yep. It's... You know what? Here's like, you know, radio, you know, obviously doesn't always necessarily influence film, but yeah. obviously pulps do. This reminds me of the shock that people had in the theater when Rachel Dawes died in Dark Knight. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I remember that fucking reaction of like, what? Rachel yeah. Dawes died in yeah. fucking Batman? We're going to kill <laughs> off the love interest in a Batman movie? Yeah. That's fucking harsh. <laughs> um, I, I remember I said, oh, actually, I guess I could tell this story now. It's years later. I got to see The Dark Knight two days before it came out because um, I worked for uh, a unnamed movie theater company at the time and nice. they, they opened the print to do a uh, check on it and we just stayed oh. over there late at night and then i was told hey uh you need to stay and watch the employee pre-screening now because we can't have them knowing that you got to see it early <laughs> so you've got to pretend you haven't seen it <laughs> so i stayed up over 24 hours two nights in a row worth it watching the dark night yeah <laughs> but yeah i remember watching that going in the theater and go like holy fuck <laughs> <laughs> rachel does that that's the same reaction that yeah. I have from this ending. Yeah. And then Commissioner Weston and a policeman are talking about like, well, I guess this this thing is wrapped up. And Commissioner Weston, always really willing to just kind of give himself credit in certain episodes. <laughs> There's other episodes where he's just like, oh, I guess you're going to take the fucking credit for this shadow, you fucking bastard. <laughs> like, and he goes like, I guess I um, anyway, there's one consolation. Looks like the shadow fell down on this case just as badly as we did. He's just like, see, see the superheroes yeah. are just as bad as us. Yeah. And then shadow goes, I think it was not quite not Commissioner quite. Weston. Yeah. And then uh, Weston goes like, oh, Fucking fuck, you solved it, didn't you? <laughs> well, he even says, like, you're here to take the credit. Yeah, he's like, you're here to take for the credit for this, Shay Shadow. Okay, this is, the, this is one of my favorites, so I'm going to shut up and you read this part. There is no credit, no glory in the death of Danny Brecker, Commissioner Weston. He was a victim, a human instrument of destruction fashioned by a mankind that teaches men to kill their enemies in time of war. He expects them to forget their murderous art in time of peace. Danny Brecker was an enemy of society, a killer, but only because you and I and countless thousands made him one. No, Commissioner, there is no glory in this for you or the Shadow or for any man. By the way, Commissioner Weston, can I borrow some blue coal? Blue coal? <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine if the dramatic... Ending to end all dramatic endings oh, ended with God. a fucking plug. Blue no, cold. no, that speech though. Let's let's That's, talk about it. We're uh, we're almost wrapped up here, and this speech is one hell of a way to wrap it, up. It on is it. Uh, perfect. This is a superhero. Yeah, <laughs> talking. I 
here's a, a, a we'll get to the influences later and whatnot, but like this is such a rough, harsh anti-war statement. Oh yeah. Which is weird because in the context of World War One, post-World War One, about to enter World War Two, it's strange to hear because you don't want to hear an anti-war sentiment knowing what's going on in Germany. <laughs> right. And yet you're hearing the response for the atrocity that came out of the First World War because of the people who came back, if not physically damaged, mentally damaged. Yep. It rings more true from a Vietnam perspective, yeah. even a Korea perspective, certainly an Iraq perspective. Yeah, 100%. And it seems like this episode works better in a post-World War II world. Yeah. As in in the terms of a human humanistic point of view, mm. because the other one feels like it's if if it's going beforehand, it feels like it's echoing a sentiment around the country that comes out of moral code rather than human code. Mm-hmm. It really because like the the issue of anti war sentiment in the 30s is complicated because it's also wrapped up in amongst other things anti semitism, racism, <laughs> yeah, and xenophobia. So it's 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 hard to wrestle with it. But it's the beauty of the writing is that it doesn't bring that thing into the exactly. proceedings. Yep, it is solely focusing on the human element. Yep, and yes. It is a is great to bring in a message in your program, whether it's a film show, radio show, yeah, film, radio show, whatever. But the way this is approached, this is the only way this works is if you remove everything but the idea of killing. Absolutely. And that's and the terror that that brings and the terror of what happens when that horror is brought into the real world. Yep. Which is sadly a horror that is not only a byproduct of war, but now a byproduct of actual living in this country. Yeah, absolutely. Which is a terrifying thought that has circumvented our childhoods and adulthoods yeah. since the yeah. moment we were probably 10. Oh, God, yeah. <clears throat> and yeah. it's and it's a terror that still haunts all of us yeah. to this very minute. And you almost want something of that emotional and mental reasoning as this statement gives to get through to the person where it would matter most. Yep. And that's what makes it one of the most powerful pieces of radio. And in that vein, we should talk about how the shadow as a radio show and as a concept for that matter affects today. And I think the obvious answer is superheroes. Yeah, totally. But let's take it a step further. We were joking about Joker not too long ago. Yeah. Um, which is a pun. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, but the Joker film, I realized that I might have been too harsh on that film when it first came out. Yeah. Because the response to that film came under the auspices of people realize, like being moved by it because they're like, it treats mental illness in such a profound way. Yeah. And I didn't feel that way. Mm. But it does, because of the way it's broad, similar to how this episode is sort of broad, it does manage to hit you if you are in the receptive mood to receive it and if you have yourself experienced something to that nature. Absolutely. And so the beauty of the comic book mythology and the superhero mythology and even the supervillain mythology 
is that it can speak to us on broad terms, but they are broad terms that we at times need. Yeah. Not too dissimilarly from the way we need needed Greek mythology at a certain point. And yeah, our totally. Heroes, uh, heroes of of legend, um, yeah. of, of folk tales, whatever. This is the, the the shadow is a precursor to the modern example. Yeah, of what we get from that aesthetic, whether it's Batman, like the Batman by Matt Reeves, actually oddly enough touches into silent avenger territory with its climax which Mm. no we're not going to talk about the climax of that film because the reception to the batman is not what this podcast is about (laughs) not everybody not everybody will like that or should like that it is totally up to your judgment and you should also not give people shit when they tell you that it's wrong that's, that's for our friend Anthony, yeah, um, who got unfairly <laughs> beaten up on Twitter, yeah, and yep. yeah. So fuck whoever made fun of Anthony. But um, uh, anyway, though, my point being is, is that like the other place that I see the shadow kind of popping up is honestly like Falcon and Winter Soldier. Oh, and sort oh, of the idea yeah. of Bucky. Period. Yeah, this yeah, yeah. specific episode dealt with the idea of PTSD and the the cost of war. Yeah. Falcon and Winter Soldier is six episodes yeah, of that shit. It's huge. <laughs> and and in a sense, the end of Endgame. Yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. That but, too. But, but let's face it, it's Bucky. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, but like the idea also of a figure working within the night. It's Batman. It's yeah. Moon Knight. It's what. It's yeah. anybody who's donning the cloak in the middle of the dark. <laughs> um and uh but also the i think the the horror ramifications have been rather influential obviously sam raimi wanted to make a shadow movie in the 90s and when he was told no because of whatever he wanted to do he made dark man instead yeah, which is yeah. very much a shadow movie <laughs> that is very much a shadow movie um and of course in 1994 there was enough of a superhero boom where they thought well say uh, it was that and dick tracy that were a big boon and it's like oh, well, say. Yeah. What if well, we made a superhero movie of do 40s characters? Of yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's do a 40s characters movie. Little realizing that that wasn't going to work. <laughs> but here's a real question. Could the shadow work today in a film? Or would you see this working in a rebooted radio? So, atmosphere? Uh, you know that, oh, what's it called? Uh, Night Vale? Mm. I think there's, so there's a podcast and they do like kind of like spooky stories and stuff. And listening to this, I kind of thought of that. I was like, ooh, I can't remember. What it's, it's something Night Vale. I, I don't remember exactly what it is. But I, I think it would be dope to have this remade now. Really? As an audio, still as an audio experience. I don't think, so. something that was said on the audio documentary mm-hmm. is that a, one of the best things about The Shadow is that it's all left to your imagination. And on, that it could on, never succeed on television. Exactly, yeah. and I think that's accurate. I think that this is yeah. best left in the audio medium. Yeah, I I partially, or, or no, I, I 90% agree. Yeah. There's a 10% of me that still wants another Shadow movie to come out. Because <laughs> I'm a fucking dork. I, I think if it was going to be like a movie, I wouldn't want it to be live action. And I think like an animated oh. something would be Oh my dope. God. I've never even thought of, that would be a great, I would That'd love be, a Shadow. That would be a great way to take it. A Shadow animated series, not unlike Batman the Animated Series, yeah. or the Max Fleischer Superman cartoons yes. from the 40s. That would be dope, right? And actually, I'm thinking like, but like, I will tell you, like, the the way I've always thought the shadow would work in film, if you were gonna visualize it in the medium, yeah. And I guess this could extend to long form television, but the key would be you have to delve into horror. 
Oh, absolutely. And I feel like the problem with the 94 Shadow film, if I have a problem with it, which I don't, except for the fact that there's Kenny G music floating around <laughs> that movie halfway through the <laughs> film, um, is that it's not scary enough. Fair. And and when when we can talk about an episode of The Shadow where it gets very fucking real very fucking quick yeah. and becomes one of the scariest things you'll ever listen to, that's a franchise that should have taken more advantage of horror when it tried to reboot itself in this era of the 90s. Yeah. And instead it became a little bit more Batman oriented and a little bit more like superhero film oriented, which is not a bad thing, but The Shadow was kind of like a proto superhero and so it didn't carry the same aesthetic as a Superman or a Batman. Yeah. It had a different connotation to it. Interesting. And also, like, in the pulp stories you're dealing with, the Shadow has fucking agents roaming around the city. He's got yeah. his own little network of shit going on. <laughs> so it, it's one of those things where I wonder how it works today. But I think the idea of addressing heavy content in popcorn fare has persisted to this very minute. And when it's done right, it it... it makes an impact on yeah. people in a way that means a lot to them. And it's why they carry these films to their hearts. And the the constant debate on this show is like, well, should we have more art or should we have more entertainment? And it's like, right. well, we need to have both, but we're each episode might advocate for something different depending on how the conversation goes. This is an advocation for both art and entertainment in the same place. Yeah, totally. And it's a tricky proposition because not every studio wants to take a risk. Yeah. Marvel, oddly enough, if you can believe it, I always felt like they're the ones who will take a strange chance like that. Yeah. Because Black Panther didn't have to be about a very important issue. <laughs> yeah. It could have. The basic bar it had to hit was let's make a serviceable superhero movie that breaks a barrier. And yeah. instead it has... Michael B. Jordan's character of Killmonger asking a very important issue about, hey, why isn't Wakandan technology available to all people of yep. Wakandan descent across the world? Yep. <laughs> like, wh why are we leaving our people to die on the streets? Yep. Like that, that idea. Or uh, uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, dealing mm. with Bucky's PTSD Oy, to a certain yeah. extent. Totally. Um, and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 dealing with the idea of having oh. Kurt Russell for a dad, yeah. you know, which would cause you a lot of trauma. <laughs> Um, no, no, I love Kurt Russell. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, wait, isn't um, his his son is uh, Wyatt Russell? Yeah, that's it, it, an in Overlord, a movie in, you should all watch. <laughs> also in uh, Oh, uh, Captain Falcon, Falcon and Winter yeah. Soldier. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. he plays yeah. Uh, John Walker. The, also the mentally, yes. Oh yes, struggling. Yeah, and the character that people didn't like, and I remember I watching it. Amazing. I remember watching it and going like, Why the fuck didn't you like Dude, Wyatt Russell he was, again? He did such a good job. I didn't understand the hate. I was just like, I, What the flying fuck? It's because people are just. Yeah, they wanted to scream and kick and yell. That's yeah, why yeah, they yeah. didn't like Obi-Wan Kenobi. I get it. That's um, exactly right. Not Anthony. Anthony, I'm not talking about <laughs> you're you. Excluded. Any, Anthony, you're excluded. Anthony, your thoughts mean more to me than some <laughs> rando on the internet talking for dumb reasons. Uh, um, but no, um, so Brent, do you want to wrap this up with anything that uh, the audience could take away? Or like, how would you sell the shadow? How would you recommend this? I would suggest that you listen to this if you're interested in having a good time a little bit of a confusing time uh, and then a heartfelt time. What would you say then for, from that? What would you say the importance is of a show like The Shadow? Like, what is its importance? I think there's a lot of things that are important about. I would say a lot of things like this. I One, it inspires people mm -hmm. to create new things, mm -hmm. try new things. Uh, and I would say that it's important for 
pushing discussions forward. I would say at that time too, when discussions weren't necessarily being had about certain things. In in a sense, it's like it's a good platform to have the open talk. Not, not too dissimilarly from film, but this is even like in a lot of senses, the audience is even wider because it's it's free. It's a it's a piece of furniture that gives you free entertainment. Absolutely, not unlike the television, well, which and, can also I mean, do that. <laughs> it's from what the documentary said. It sounds like they had. A ton of listeners. Yeah. And so it's like they knew what their platform was. They knew who they were talking to. And they were sending out, a, in my opinion, a decently important message. They not only uh, they not only understood that, but once Orson Welles left, actually, and it's funny because after the summer series, he leaves to pursue Mercury Theater on the air. And about a month or a month and a half into that uh, run, he comes up with War of the Worlds well, yeah. along with not him solely. We'll talk about that in a future one, but he is <laughs> one of the forces behind it. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm sorry, people who don't like facts. <laughs> but yes, no. So Orson Welles leaves and then you have William Johnstone doing it up into 1943. Then Brett Morrison does it from 43 to 44. Then you have an inner inner period with John Archer and Steve Courtley. Then Brett Morrison returns and he does the shadow all the way up into the end in 1954. The, the timeline on that is also nuts to me that it was from 1937 to 1954. We can't. We can't give that's why we can't give MST3K more than two seasons on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> These guys last for 18 seasons. That's, it's wild, including a summer series hosted by a tire company. <laughs> and you want some hear- romance stuff oh, thrown in. <laughs> here's what it innovated too: Orson Welles doing commercials, because if oh. you listen to the good rich ones, you can listen to the shadow pitching tires. OK, that's kind of Orson Welles yeah. pitching tires. I'll take that. You'll you'll buy anything from that man. You'll buy French champagne, frozen <laughs> peas, tires, anything. Mm, Multiple peas. copies of Citizen Kane, despite how many people tell you it's overrated and you go, you're wrong. It's actually underrated. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and uh, the shadow did end um, on the airwaves in 1954. Um, as said before, though, it, it has really still captured the imagination. I do feel like when people think about old time radio, they think about a couple things. The Lone Ranger. Mm. Uh, nowadays, actually, like stuff like suspense or lights out inner sanctum. Hmm. But the shadow always comes up because it is a superhero that was king of the airwaves. Yeah. In a way that no other superhero wasn't like the su- Superman wasn't as popular as the shadow to my mind. Like it, it had its it had heavy listenership, but I don't think it reached the same. I didn't know there was a Superman radio show. There is. There's You're one blowing where he fights, my mind right now. There's one where he fights the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying we get Anthony in then have you guys listen <laughs> yeah. to all of those yeah, in yeah, a yeah, listenathon, yeah. But we need we need a panel <laughs> for that one like because there's that. a myth that it actually helped people fight the KKK. Oh, wow. That I want to believe. But then the facts get in the Let's way. Let's just accept it. it uh, yeah, it's it's print the legend. Because then we can just say Superman, hel- Superman, helps yes, super- fight the KKK. Superman, Superman. Um, uh, and then the Green Hornet also was a radio what? show. Yeah. The, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, I, I, yeah, I guess I just didn't, I didn't know about radio goodness. Yeah, no, yeah. Seth Rogen was on the radio back in 1940. <laughs> Can you imagine his laugh on the radio? <laughs> <laughs> Buy some coal. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Christoph Waltz like the villain each week. I would actually listen to that cool. shit. That's, yeah, 100%. Um, and additionally, The Shadow, even though we talked about a rather ill-fated 1994 uh, film, he did have films that we might talk about at some point. Listen yeah. to these titles and see if you want to come back for one of these, Brent. Ooh, okay. The Shadow Strikes. International Crime. Ooh. The Shadow. Just The Shadow. Oh, just The Shadow? <laughs> just just oh. 1940. The Shadow Returns Behind the Mask. And Missing Lady. So there's three different titles. Ooh. All in the same year. They're programmer pieces. <laughs> Invisible Avenger, 1958. <laughs> which I've... This this one was a TV pilot Ooh. for The Shadow that was edited into a theatrical feature, which I've still never seen. So... You know, I guess, you know what? Other medium might work really well for The Shadow. Like a, a, a musical... Like a, a play, just wow. a, a play would be. Mel Brooks should produce. <laughs> I'd be, oh, it'd be so good. <laughs> oh, you know, actually, I take that back. God, who would be good to do the musical version of The Shadow? Oh, like, I, you need I a sci-fi geek, or, or you need a horror and sci-fi. Geek. Maybe Sam Raimi should do. Ooh, That's there what you, you go. Do. Put the shadow on Broadway, Sam Raimi. Yes, we know Sam. you already went over to Marvel. They probably gave you a big enough paycheck to try that out. Yeah. Um, and um, <laughs> also, uh, but yeah, we should return for one of those and talk about. I'd be that. happy to. Um, but apart from that, like there is, there are comic books of the shadow too. So if you want to take a look at, see, the I comic think that books. sounds interesting. I, I still think a, I think a cartoon movie mm-hmm. or sorry, an animated movie or animated series. Like, especially of the caliber of stuff that gets put out now, like the the League of Legends show. Yeah. Is, like, something that caliber of something with this content would be really cool. They could do something really neat with it. Dynamite Entertainment has the current, has the more recent run of The Shadow from 2017, which is The Shadow and Batman. Ooh. Co-published with DC Comics. What? Now, Batman stuff gets turned into animated programs every so often. I'm yeah. pitching anybody out there listening. I want an animated version of that because if I got Batman Ninja, there's no reason I can't get the Shadow and Batman. Yep, I agree. Um, but on that note, Brent, thank you for sitting down to chat yeah. with us about a piece of old time radio history. Tell me, people more about you. What do you have? Wor- what are you working on right now? Um, uh, I mean- so I am mainly focusing on photography currently. Mm-hmm. Um, you can follow me at uh, shocking Poptimistic Media on Instagram. Uh, <laughs> that just put a penny in Anthony's bank account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, so uh, yeah, I don't know. I've been exploring the world of photography more and just enjoying every goddamn second of it it's a lovely thing you took some photographs for this show so i did i took some some pictures of you which i'm very excited to go home and edit yeah and i'm very happy that you uh you came here to talk about a piece of pop culture that means to me it brought a lot of optimism into my life as it well, should i'm glad um and also it's just it's been wonderful to see your bright shining face again sir it's been oh, too long you too and we're gonna have you back we could talk about a shadow thing and i'm yeah. sure we'll get your your regular ball and chain over here to talk about um a- another horror film for ballyboo yes we'll need to find either something with vincent or something that features oh. ge ovens oh some more vincent is what i need in my life you for know, sure. it's funny we played they played that at film club recently the thing from another <gasps> world what and i it was i and it was last minute i didn't realize they were going to play it until literally the hour before <laughs> <laughs> my brain just kept going with ge thermostat <laughs> The whole mind was just going back to that episode and just giggling in the middle of the screen. So much fun. And me, but I was, I flat out just said, like, Scotty fucking annoys me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But thank you again, sir. Please check out everybody. You can find out more about Brent in the show description. 
and following. And please, Joe, check out Poptimistic because I'm sure Poptimistic will, will return soon. Yeah, I've been talking about doing some uh, some solo reviews on there and stuff. We'll probably get some stuff back up again. There so. you go. And we'll have you back and everything will be grander in the world for it. Hunky dory. Opinion. And that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. You can find out more about us in the back half. But until next time, good night, folks. And remember, the weed of crime bears bitter fruit. <laughs> crime does not pay. The shadow knows. <laughs> that was beautiful. That was beautiful. <laughs> This concludes tonight's episode of Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Ballyhoo Review and on Instagram at Ballyhoo Review Pod. Our theme was composed by Matty Ghost. Be sure to check out more of his music on Twitch. Our announcer was Henry Jarvis. Look for him on the Real Nerds Podcast. This is Zach signing off. Stay tuned for Jack Benny, who follows immediately after station identification. Yeah.